Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Morano right now. It's yours truly, Curtis Lewa, who is uh, substituting Frank for this week. Alex, uh, straighten this out here. I can see it's an act of sabotage already. By, uh, oh, I gotta put my headphones in. Oh, Alex. Oh, boy, wonder. Amazing. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Now, that's a good startup. As I had my headphones plugged into my navel, not below the navel, that would have been uh, a little risque. But rather, uh, we need to do check, double check here as if we were in Starship Command here. So uh, let's make sure Matt Blaze, a name that I truly believe is uh, just one of many aliases that you've had over your career. There used to be a program called The Fugitive, and... I think we could do that program all over again with you, Matt Blaze. What kind of a guy has a last name that's Blaze? So anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I know this is a nationally syndicated show. Believe it or not, I've actually had a national syndicated show myself a long, long, long time ago. And Frank Morano was my producer of that nationally syndicated show. So in order to make sure that everything is copacetic, as we go from the other side of Midnight Weekend Edition, which is hosted by yours truly, to the other side of Midnight, hosted by Frank Morano. Uh, Matt Blaze, please, as if you were a NASA astronaut here, and this was Cape Canaveral. No, make that Cape Kennedy. Check, check, double check the discronificator, which connects us to the 50,000 powerful watts of sound. That is our tower in Lodi that propels... The signals all across the country so that this can be a national syndicated show. Although it is heard also in parts of Canada and in slivers of Europe and right on down to Davy Jones's locker between the Bahamas and Bermuda. So the Scronificator, okay, our AM connection is fine. AM standing for active minded. Now, we have a number of FM connections, and FM, for all of you who are not aware, the acronym stands for Freaking Morons, Feeble-Minded, Fornicating Madly, Free Marijuana, and, of course, Frank Morano. But we don't mind if FM signals will conflate with the AM signals in order to give as wide a leeway of opportunities to all of you to call in because, for the most part, in the course of this week... One to five, Monday through Fridays. It'll be call-driven. Yes, I've been told orders from headquarters is I am to try to simulate as much as possible the Frank Morano format. I protested, but that protest went nowhere, as John Katzmatidis said. 
do it the Frank Morano way. Yes, 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 a thousand times yes. Although I must tell all of you, in advance of me coming in and eating up even more of the radio real estate like a Pac-Man, I noticed that Frank had submitted a list of 72, 72 count them, potential hosts and hostesses that he had hoped would substitute for him while he's away in parts unknown. Although uh, a little birdie told me that because uh, Frank loves to gamble. Uh, We know he's not in Las Vegas. Four straight days of pounding weather. In the middle of the desert, floods, casinos are closed. The strip is closed. They don't know when Mother Nature will turn her wrath away from what is a desert. Bugsy Siegel one time said to Meyer Lansky, look, Meyer, I, I understand. The boys want their money. They want their investment. They want their vig. I get it. But if we build it, they will come. And boy, did they come. Now, uh, Bugsy Siegel didn't make it uh, very far. He ended up getting shot by organized crime through the plate glass window of a uh, home uh, in Beverly Hills in which he was shacked up with a drop-dead gorgeous blonde. But if you have to die, that's the way to die. He never got a chance to see his dream come true. So I know Frank Morano and his lovely wife, Rachel, and their child, Carmine, a 40-pound baby, uh, as I saw him just the other day, are not in Las Vegas. That would be impossible. You'd have to go in a gondola. You'd have to go in Noah's Ark. So my guess is he's down in Atlantic City, his favorite haunt of Borgata, shooting craps and losing every nickel, dime, and penny he's got. And he'll continue to shoot, shoot, shoot craps like, hey, everybody who's addicted to gambling. But I want to tell you we need to check, check, double check to make sure that this that we are going to have a smooth ride for all of our listeners until 5 o'clock, until we uh, end up getting back into a normal cycle. I want you, if you can, to uh, check the beacon lights, the side markers, the Finnegan pin, the phase multiplier, and the Johnson rod. No, 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 not your Johnson, Matt Blaze. You know, you're like pornographic, triple X rated in your mind. The Johnson rod. And the tower that projects these signals all across America so that we can syndicate Frank Morano are leveraged on what they call Johnny Balls. Now, I know you're thinking, what? Monkeypox? No. Johnny Balls. So that when the tower sways back and forth in inclement weather during Superstorm Sandy or any hurricane or storm conditions, the tower will remain afloat and will not topple. And it deflects lightning, the dehydrator. We got to make sure that that's up and running. And by the way, Matt Blaze, uh, I hope you didn't interfere with the capacitators, the three capacitators that give us the amplitude in order to demodulate the signal and allow a clear, distinct signal to bounce around from North Dakota, where they're still rioting in the aftermath of the disastrous. Uh, well, the disastrous attempt to have a, a concert there, if you remember, at the North Dakota State Fair. Uh, who was that, uh, Matt Blaze? Uh, let me see. Uh, Kid Rock, that's right. I mean, you knew that was a serious riot because they were, f- they were throwing full cans of Coors beer at Miller High Life. They didn't even drink the beer. They were throwing it up on stage. The state police of North Dakota were saying, please... Please, Kid Rock, you got to go out on the stage. You got to talk to your sickle fans, toadies, and lackeys, all 18,000, and tell them 
to go home, you know, like they wanted Trump to go on January 6th and tell all of his followers, go home. And you know what Kid Rock said to the state commander at the barracks in North Dakota? Are you crazy? They'll kill me out there. We're getting in our RV. We're drinking our Miller High Life. We're drinking our course. I'm without Pam Anderson. She's run off with that geek, you know, uh, Assange with WikiLeaks. What does she see in that guy that she doesn't see in me? So there he went off in his RV down the road with his American flag on one side and his Johnny Reb flag, the flag of stars and bars, the flag and trees, and on the other side. So now I think we're squared away. I think we can get down into the nitty-gritty of what is a very important program today because of the passing of Nickel Nichols, as you know, one of the key, the key performers in the original Star Trek, not the young whippersnappers who pretended to do a Star Trek. No, I'm talking about the original. You know, Captain Kirk, George Takai, Sulu. We'll get to that momentarily, but I got to take care of some public service announcements here throughout the Northeast sector. Oh, they want your money. Starting at 12 midnight, the witching hour, you didn't turn into pumpkins, but if you happen to be driving around the five boroughs of the city of New York, the speed cameras are whirling and twirling now. 24-7-365. That's right. It used to be that they were just on from 9 to 5 during the workday. No more. They're on weekdays, weekends, overnights. The whole goal is to basically cause you to have to declare Chapter 11 bankruptcy because they want every nickel, diamond, penny before you flee to Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Virginia, Texas, Tennessee, and parts unknown. So the speed cameras are running 24-7 now. That You need to know that because they're going to clip you, and they're going to clip you hard. And if you happen to be in the state of New Jersey, the Garden State, since this past Thursday, the governor, half in the bag, Murphy, who calls everybody a knucklehead, and they were knuckleheads not to have, a vote, not to have voted in Citarelli to replace Murphy. By the way, who's away at his villa in uh, Italy, his $28 million villa. Nobody has seen half in the bag, Murphy, but all he keeps doing is sending messages, texting, knuckleheads, 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 pay more, pay more. So he now has a quota imposed and is forcing state troopers to write ticket after ticket. He wants to raise $9 million from all you suckers, I mean you taxpayers, in order to pay the state troopers their overtime and then still have a killing for the state. So there'll be 50 state troopers on duty at all times patrolling the nine main intersections. And all they're going to be doing is writing you up tickets. They have a quota. They must write a ticket every 10 to 20 minutes. Make sure you are not their quota. They have issued 30 brand new unmarked Crown Victoria Cruises. And they're bringing on all their part-timers and full-timers. If you work in New Jersey, New York, Delaware, or Connecticut, you will probably be on one of these highways crisscrossing through the most traveled of all the 50 states in the nation, New Jersey. So you got to be on guard. you got to be vigilant. Man, they're going to clip you out there. And then starting August 15th, the price of a violation to show your driver's license, registration, or insurance car at the time you're stopped by Johnny Law will increase from $44 to, guess what, $171. 
You better keep the documents in your car. And don't say I'm an illegal alien. I don't have to show you my papers. You do. Because if you don't show them your papers on August 15th and afterwards, all three documents, it's going to cost you $519. Courtesy of the man who calls you knuckleheads in New Jersey, half in the bag, Governor Murphy, who's not even in New Jersey. And then finally, the fine for handheld cell phone use while driving will be going up to $180. Anyway, let's open up our phone lines. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. And I'm not going to say, oh, there's four open lines or five open lines. What do you think I'm a moron? i got to count the open lines, seven open lines. There's open lines. It gives you an opportunity to job home because... Unlike Frank Morano, who is driven by guests, and I will be forced to have guests this week, against my will, against my desire, against my dreams, my aspirations, and yes, I guess you could call it wet dreams too. My goal is to have a call-driven show with you, the many callers out there as the guests. But I've been told, mezze, mezze, poco, poco, if you know Italian, that means half and half, Sliwa, half guests, half callers. And this rat, Matt Blaze here, is taking meticulous notes as our board engineer, along with the brown nose producer and uh, telephone talent coordinator. What kind of a name is that? For Alex. You know, I wish I had my, my normal crew for the other side of midnight on the weekends. It's all brothers. That's right. It's the incredibly popular, the iconic figure on loan from WCBS-FM where he established a name long ago. He's in the Radio Hall of Fame, Billy. Broadway Billy, that's right. And then, of course, Avery, the telephone talent coordinator who Frank Morano hates, loathes, and despises. Our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. And so with the passing of actress Nichelle Nichols, who played Lieutenant Uhur in the original Star Trek series. I know there are a lot of Trekkers out there, including Frank Morano, who is sitting Shiva. Who will bring the Hamantashen over the next eight days? She died at the age of 89. She had a good life. Her death was announced by her son, Kyle Johnson, on her Facebook page. He wrote on her behalf, I regret to inform you that a great light in the firmament firmament boy that's a five dollar word that's multi-syllabic no longer shines for us as it has for so many years last night my mother nichelle nichols succumbed to natural causes and passed away her light however like the ancient galaxies now being seen for the first time will remain for us in future generations to enjoy learn from and draw inspiration Boy, that was nice. Ah, nice. I, you know, I hope when I kick it, Anthony, uh, my oldest son, will be able to give me a nice tribute. Who's going to do my eulogy, huh? Maybe all three of my sons. Remember my three sons? Well, that's what I got, three sons. I got Anthony, who's 18. I got Carter, who's 13. Just had his bar mitzvah. That's right. Even though I'm a righteous Gentile, they let me go up to the, the Beamer. You know why they let me go up to the Beamer? Because my checks don't bounce. That's what I told the rabbi in the canter. Hey, you like my checks, don't you? Yeah, yeah, we do. 
Uh, have you ever had a problem? Have I ever tried to kite any checks or bounce any checks? No, no. You've always made the payments for your sons, Carter and Hunter, for their Hebrew school education and naturally for their preparation to take their uh, uh, tests and their lessons for the bar mitzvah. I want to go up to the Beamer. Well, you know, you're a gentle. I don't want to hear about it. Cantor, I don't want you singing like you're Al Josen. And Rabbi, just worry about Torah and Talmud, and I'll worry about making enough mula shmula and ducats to pay for their tuition. So that was the deal. Lucky for me, it was a reformed synagogue, because if it was conservative or orthodox or Hasidim, I would have been on the outside looking in. And then just imagine my youngest son is named Hunter. This is not a time in history to be named Hunter. My poor son there was in grammar school, public school, when all of a sudden then President Donald Trump was screaming from the rafters at every campaign appearance, Where's Hunter? Where's Hunter? Obviously referring to that degenerate, that dysfunctional, dope fiend, Hunter Biden. But did my son know that? Of course not. So the kids in school were razzing him. Oh, so you're the infamous Hunter Biden. He said, no, 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 no. My name's not Biden. Sure, why is the president of the United States calling out your name? My son was having nightmares. He was hearing Trump in his medulla and cerebellum saying, Hunter, Hunter, where are you? So I told his mother, maybe it's time we change his name. Not over my dead body. I said, what kind of a Jewish kid is named Hunter anyway, right? You're raising him Jewish, and you give him uh, a Gentile waspish name, Hunter. And now he's associated with Hunter Biden, the worst imaginable human being to walk the face of the earth, who when we last saw him had a gun to his side, his Jimmy Johnson was hanging out, and he was with a cheap hooker while smoking crack. She said, tough nuggies, his name is Hunter. Carter. Why'd you name him Carter? He's going to have a complex. People are going to think he's Jimmy Carter, one of the worst presidents we've ever had in the United States. You know what she told me? Tough noogies. Just keep paying the child support, okay? Make sure your checks don't bounce. Oh, so I could go sit down with the rabbi and the cantor, right? You see what my life is, ladies and gentlemen? And then as I walked into the offices of our owner and operator, John and Margot Katsimatidis, And they said to me, oh, Frank has suggested 72 different people as possibilities to substitute for him for this week when he's away to parts unknown. We're still not sure where he is with his lovely wife, Rachel, and his brand new bouncing boy, Carmine, who I believe has tipped the scales at 40 pounds since Thanksgiving. Can you believe that? He was birthed on Thanksgiving and he's 40 pounds. And I looked at the names of these 72 people, some of them. They wouldn't even know what a radio is. They wouldn't know a terrestrial radio. They wouldn't know uh, an app. They wouldn't know how to get it online on your laptop, your worktop computer. You can do all of that. You see what it is, and I'm going to explain it to all of you, because I know this thing of ours we love. We love talk radio. But there are some hosts and hostesses, like politicians, they are tremendously insecure. They're neurotic. And Frank fits the bill. You see, in this business, the, what the theory is, bring in somebody who's a schlub, a schmendrick, a pisher, a person who will do a terrible job so that upon Frank's return, everybody will call up and say, oh, it's so good to have you back, Frank. 
Oh, it was tough without you this past week. The, the people who were substituting for you, not ready for prime time. And he's not alone. There's a lot of people in this business like that. I would never have become a talk show host. I know many of you are saying right now, I don't know how he became a talk show host. But anyway, I did. Due to one of the greatest talk show hosts in the history of this medium called Bob Grant, the king of talk radio, who made his bones in New York and Philadelphia and nationally. And he said to the suits, the mockers, the muckety mucks, you got you to gotta put Curtis in front of that 50,000 powerful watch of sound. And they said, why? Because he knows where all the bones are buried and who buried them. When I die, right, on the tombstone, instead of R.I.P., rest in peace, it'll be Curtis knew where all the bones are buried, and now his bones are buried too. Do you think he could find it down there eight feet under? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Jacqueline, who is calling. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jacqueline. Hi, Curtis. Good morning. Um, I was listening to you yesterday afternoon when you were talking about the speed trap cameras and the red light cameras in New Jersey and how they did away with them. But I would like to know how were they able to do away with them, and can we do the same thing here in New York? Excellent, Jacqueline. Uh, let me update you on that. It was first proposed by Shamu Elefe Chris Christie. You remember that governor who always pretended like he was trying to protect your pockets, your pocketbooks, and your purses. And yet he installed the first red light cameras. The idea, Shabu al Hefe Chris Christie said, is it would make the roads safer. There'd be less fender benders. Pedestrians would be safe. People riding bicycles and especially people in cars, vans, pickup trucks, and 18-wheel tractor trailers. Well, turned out, Jacqueline, that there were more accidents, and the only reason that it existed was to raise revenue. It was a hidden tax. Everybody recognized it. Citizens complained. They went to court, and there are no more speed cameras in Jersey as far as I know. Now, you would have thought New York would have learned from that disastrous mistake. But, you know, typical of New York, just like with the... uh, no cash bail system. Jersey had it before us, two years before us. They do it much better because they're much more, they use common sense. They, they leave it to the judges to make decisions as to whether somebody is a danger to themselves, a danger to uh, society, or a danger to the criminal justice system. And then they make a decision about bail. We don't permit our judges in black regal robes to do that in New York. So we are so pretentious, we are so obstinate, we are so stubborn in New York, we think we're number one, second to none, that we always act like we, we can do it better. Jersey failed with the speed cameras, and rightfully so, but New York's going to do it. Now we have 2,000 speed cameras that are running 24 hours a day, and their only purpose is not to eliminate accidents, Jacqueline. It's going to cause more accidents because many of these newer cameras are not on any apps they're not on the wave system for people's GPS. You might know that at times you can be driving along. You've got that app. You've got that GPS. And then all of a sudden, 500 feet away, speed camera, $500 ticket. You better slow down, you idiot. And that naturally, you pay attention because you don't have that kind of money to throw around in a Biden inflationary recession. Does that make any sense, Jacqueline? doesn't make any sense to me. And right from the get-go, I said it's just as a driver myself, 
what it, what I'm doing now is I'm watching to see where all these speed trap cameras are. I usually travel the same route, so now I figured it out. But they're popping up all over the place, so it is dangerous. And not only that, you also brought out uh, earlier yesterday afternoon. In my opinion, you didn't use this word, but I'm going to use it. It's racist because most of those speed trap cameras are in predominantly upper middle class white neighborhoods, <laughs> not in uh, poverty-stricken areas or where there are people of color. You know why that is, Jacqueline? Yeah, because they never get the money. Exactly. Your checks don't bounce. Whereas right. you can't pay for a speed uh, speed trap ticket, a speed camera ticket with a snap card. You can't pay for that. You know, that only goes for milk, bread, the basics. You know, here's Henry. He goes, can you take my snap card? No, sorry. That is only used for basic essentials that you can buy in the bodega, the grocery store, and supermarket. So, you see, that's the reason that you will see a proliferation of these speed cameras in neighborhoods that are considered lower middle class, middle class, upper middle class because they're there to clip you. They know you have to pay, and they know you can pay. The poor and the indigent, nah, they're not going to pay. The wealthy and the rich, they're going to say, Jeeves, Jeeves, since you were driving my stretch limo five miles beyond the speed limit, Jeeves, we're deducting that from your endowment. Because not only does Jeeves get a salary, he is, he's got a major endowment and major investments that he makes. You'll have to pay for that, Jeeves. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Larry calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard. Yeah, hi, Curtis. Um, you know, I want to congratulate you seriously uh, for supporting your Jewish kids through Hebrew school. And ironically, I don't think you are a righteous Gentile, by the way. And ironically, you did earn your right to go up to the Bema because in Jewish history, there were two tribes. One was called Yisachar and the other Zvulin. And Zvulin's uh, task was to support Yisachar in the, in the study of Torah. They would go out to sea. They were seafarers. And they would sell all the merchandise. And they would make money. And they would support the tribe of Yisachar to sit and learn Torah. So you actually uh, was, uh, you know, imitated one of this, one, this tribe, Zvulin, of supporting Torah study. So you earned your right <clears throat> You earned your right to go up to the Bema. You called me a sucker, huh? I, I, you know, I, I know enough Yiddish. You know, I work retail. You work enough retail, you learn Yiddish over the years. All the bad words and some of the good words. He called me a sucker. I am not a mosquito. I am not a bloodsucker. They're out there. They're massively out there. Momentarily, in a few hours, we're going to see those black helicopters hovering over. Oh, no, there won't be ATF uh, men dressed in black repelling down to seize your guns and kick in your doors. No, not the alcohol, tobacco, firearms agency that you hate, gun owners. Rather, it's going to be people dropping bombs to get to Skeeters. DEET, D-E-E-T, while you sleep. It's going to coat your home and your garage and your car. When you come out in the morning, you're going to say... I love the smell of DEET. Not DDT. They did an efficient job, DDT, but they said, oh, no, that could cause paralysis. That might affect your thinking process, so we're going to replace that with DEET, D-E-E-T. So when you wake up, 
You get your first cup of coffee. You walk in Fido. You tell your neighbors. You bust your buttons and bridges with pride to say, I love the smell of deet in the morning. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Shatner with that bad rug on his head. What is he, 90 years old? Did he come down yet from Tesla's rocket yet? Oh, my God. And Frank Morano loves this. I mean, you know how many times Shatner he worships at the altar of Shatner. Shatner, can you come on the show? I'll play your horrible musical selections. Did you ever see this one? He appears on three separate frames, each one of them worse than the one before. The guy is tone deaf. This is maybe the worst song that I've ever heard other than one. Jerry, 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 Jerry Springer. Yeah, he thinks of himself as a musician. Oh, I can sing. No, you can't. You know, I want to ask a question. Up in Canada, William Shatner, you know, oh, Canada, I'd like to deport him back to Canada like I did... uh, the head of the Cartwright clan in the days of Ponderosa. Yeah, he was a Canadian, too, like Justin Bieber, Viber, whatever. Deport them to O Canada. It should be the 51st state. God, it's so horrible. Whatever happened to Mrs. Shatner? Still, I, I inquired. Just like I did with Robert Wagner, remember, on that yacht off of Catalina Island with crazy man Chris Walken. You remember him. And Deer Hunter, was he psycho or what? Who killed Natalie Wood? Natalie Wood, the wife of Robert Wagner at that time, right? Who killed? Who killed Mrs. Shatner at the pool there up in Canada? By the way, haven't you learned that chlorine can cover everyone's tracks? You put enough chlorine in the pool, forget it'll kill even the DNA. It's an old trick of organized crime. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Italian organized crime later. The racket report of Frank Morano. What a racket he's run up. But anyway, let's uh, 
Let's go to the phones. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. To Al calling from Lost in Yonkers. Your turn to be heard here, Al. Hi, Curtis. Uh, nice to speak to you. Uh, Curtis, you know, I wanted to, to, to mention what you know, because you know uh, a lot about sports and a lot about everything. Uh, you know, Bill Russell, who was, you know, a great basketball player, he was before my time, but he got like 13 um, championships for Boston. Uh, he, as you know, recently passed away at 88. Uh, he let it be known that he had a very tumultuous relationship with the city, uh, Boston, and I wonder if you agree it had probably a lot to do with the racial divide. Uh, we know Boston in the 70s was rocked with the segregation forced busing that really divided the city. And as you know, the history of the tri-state in New York, myself being a Yonkers person in the 80s, things really got bad here in the 80s too, where the community was really divided over the desegregation order. I just wanted to ask, uh, do you agree with or what I uh, just said. Oh, I remember you've taken me back on the time machine to (laughs) Pound Ridge in Westchester, very exclusive, even more exclusive than where Bill and Hillary live in Chappaqua, the whitest suburb in America where even the lawn jockeys are white. That's right, Pound Ridge. And it was Judge, if I remember correctly, Al Sands, who made the decision that Yonkers was a divided city And it would have to be forced integration in housing. And everybody said, schmuck, putz, you live in an all-white community of the affluent, the elite in Pound Ridge. But you're going to force integration on the urban area of Yonkers, which only hastened the departure of so many other white ethnics who now had a reason to do the hop, skip, and a jump and head down to Florida. Or went further north. That's right. Now, when speaking of Boston, which uh, I have guardian angels, I've spent a lot of time in Dorchester, Roxbury, Jamaica Plain, uh, and it's it's got its racial issues in Southie. That's where all the poor Irish, the uh, shanty Irish live, not the lace Irish. They live in the projects. And let me tell you something. A black guy come through that area, mm, like Dominic Carter, if all of a sudden he was walking through Southie there to some of the projects... Be like meze, meze, poco, poco, about half and half as to whether he'd get through there in one piece or not. And that includes, they could have been glorified Boston Celtics. So Bill Russell, one of the greatest centers of all time, he's weighing down the center position, and he wasn't that uh, large of a man. He wasn't that tall of a man compared to the other great NBA centers, especially Will Chamberlain, who was seven one, about 300 pounds. But there were a number of African-Americans who accompanied him on the Celtics. There was K.C. Jones, who played with him at San Francisco State University, where they won 55 straight wins in 55-56, two national titles. So you also had uh, Sam Jones, who was African-American, Seth Sanders, and they always reported that sometimes in the old Boston Garden, the end bomb would be dropped on them by fans, white fans, and that in the neighborhoods that they lived in, the surrounding suburbs, of which there are many, oftentimes they would run across some whites who were racially prejudiced against them. Boston Red Sox were the last team in Major League Baseball to be integrated. Uh, so, yeah, it was rough. It wasn't that easy for Bill Russell and 
Casey Jones and Sam Jones and Seth Sanders to play on the Celtics back then when they were considered the very best in the NBA. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, but I got to tell you, now that you reminded me of Bill Russell, right out of all the glory, Halioski, hallelujah, amen, amen, Bill Russell, the guy would not sign autographs. So, Al, you could have been a little kid six years old. You know, like that Mean Joe Green commercial, you know, with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he's all grumpy, and he's all angry, and then all of a sudden the kid comes up and gives him a Coke, the old-fashioned bottle of Coke, peace, love, and happiness, merging the races. Bill Russell, he didn't care. You were a black or white kid. You were a native Indian. It didn't matter. He wasn't going to sign anything. He was like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a.k.a. Lou Alcindor. He was like Mickey Mantle. He's like Willie Mays, Joe DiMaggio. They didn't sign nothing. And they were so grumpy, so angry. Here they were, the top athletes in their era. And all you would do is, hey, could you sign this paper bag? I don't sign nothing. Bill, Bill, Bill. No, I don't sign. Get out of here, kid. Yeah, no, no. They were all like that. I saw... Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lou Alcindor, at a hotel in Seattle. I was organizing Guardian Angels in the Rainier Valley, that South uh, Seattle at the time. Okay. And, and the um, Milwaukee Bucks, he was playing for the Milwaukee Bucks at that time, were in to play against uh, Seattle when they had an NBA franchise there. And some kids came up to him in the lobby, and they were very well behaved. And he said, no, I don't sign autographs. I said, this guy is Bill Russell. He's Mickey Mantle. He's Willie Mays. He's Joe DiMaggio. Think of it, Al. These guys had talent on loan from God. They were iconic sports figures. And for some strange reason in their mind, they were above having to sign signatures for kids. Amazing. Tricks are for kids. That's why tricks are for kids. You know, you go out and get a box of tricks because you weren't going to get any signatures from those five. Anyway, do appreciate that, Al. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's one 800 848 9222. Let's go to Ken since we were talking about North Dakota and we were talking about the State Fair in North Dakota, Minot, in which Kid Rock, all of his uh, Kid Rock fans started a riot there because of lightning that prevented his concert. And then when the state police commander said, Hey, kid, can you go out on the stage and tell him to chill out all 18,000? Are you crazy? They'll kill me. And by the way, I miss Pam Anderson. Why'd she run off with Julian Assange, that geek from WikiLeaks? Oh, God. Me and Pam, and we're like, we were like two peas in a pod, soup in a sandwich, horse in a carriage. By the way, Pam Anderson was with quite a few guys. You ever go to the old Playboy Mansion of Hugh Hefner? <sighs> Left, right, every which way. She was... Uh, they describe Pam Anderson as being uh, multiply talented. Let me be kind in that regard. But she a friend of all animals. She is an animal lover extraordinaire, rescues animals. So, Miss Baywatch, uh, let me give you your due. But you left Kid Rock. So, instead, let's go to Ken in South Dakota. Your turn to be heard here, Ken. Hey, how's it going? So, it's my not. North Dakota, so my not, uh, yeah, yeah, my not. So uh, Curtis, I'm in, uh, I'm in the Indian Reservation over here. I'm your buddy, and uh, from Flushing, I'm over here in uh, Pine Ridge Reservation, mm-hmm. two miles north of the Nebraska border. 
So I lived in Germany a long time, and they had those flashing red light cameras, right? And there's an overlay you can put on your license plate. So it looks normal by eye, but when the light hits it, that infrared beam, it turns black, and they can't read your license plate number. So what happens is they started to do facial recognition, believe it or not. And the German government got sued for that, and they handed it over to a private company. What do you think about that? Wow. So the auto bomb, where you could drive outrageous miles per hour on the auto bomb, they were actually cracking down and using facial recognition technology until they had to outsource it to a private company because the government wouldn't let them do it? Well, what happened was they had them on the poles and everything, and then they started putting them in the sides of garbage cans and stuff like this, and it was getting too invasive. So they went to a private company because people were running up, beating them to death with baseball bats and stuff, the, the cameras. So they said they were wasting money, getting sued, this, that, the other thing. It was being too expensive. So the private company had people sitting with them in vans watching over them. They had them chained down and stuff like this. Yeah, so they outsourced them because they were losing money because of the overlays on the license plate. Somebody came out with a clear overlay that went over the license plate. And when it got hit with the red light, it turned black instantly. So they couldn't read the numbers. So it wasn't worthwhile anymore. So a, a private company said they're going to learn a way around it by doing a facial recognition that the government started, uh, but they uh, got sued by it. You know, they're trying to worm their way around it. Yeah, well, yeah, so there, are a whole series, there are a whole series of uh, things that are being done here to render the license plate not to be decipherable. Uh, that overlay obviously has worked. They have overlays here. They are considered yeah. illegal. I have seen One some guys. Trick. I have seen some guys uh, take Vaseline and wipe it on their uh, license plates because it's what bank robbers do when they walk into a bank and they hold up the bank. When they they rub Vaseline all over their face, it messes up the cameras. The cameras don't get a clear and actual accurate picture of them. Uh, it it messes up the whole photo recognition technology that is built into the private cameras. So I've seen people like just slap on, you know, the the, the Vaseline, uh, and others will just uh, blow through there with paper plates, or they'll have a partial uh, plate, anything to beat uh, the fee. Uh, I mean, anything to beat the toll. Uh, and they're saving thousands and thousands of dollars, but they're they're all cracking down on the state state agencies, county agencies, municipal agencies, and if they catch you, they're towing your car away. And tough noogies to you. Uh, see if you can uh, find somebody to repo it. Mm-hmm. Well, I would be in a hurry sometimes to get to work, and I had about a sixty mile drive, and I knew where those cameras were, so I would put a uh, like a Walmart bag, but they don't have Walmart there. We had a different. We had the Army Air Force Exchange. Yes. So we would put the AFI, they call it AFIs. We put that bag over our license plate and we would be going fast. They would you'd flash, flash, flash. And we'd get to the front gate and the guard would say, You have an AFIs bag over your plate. And I'm like, I do? Sorry. And he'd remove it for you. And it was like, You'd get, the, you'd get flashed six or seven times, but all they would get is an AFIs bag over your plate. So the trick was just put a Walmart bag over your license plate and all they would do wouldn't get nothing. You know? So that's for people here at me. That's a good way of getting around it. Problem but, uh, is, you know, problem here. is here, Ken, my partner on Saturdays, Anthony Weiner, when he was in city council and then in Congress, prevented Walmart from having any stores in the five boroughs. They're throughout the tri-state area. But to this day, we cannot have a Walmart 
in the five boroughs of the city of New York. How ridiculous is that, Ken? What? Okay. Yeah, so, you know, out here, that's all we have, you know. By the way, uh, um, it's amazing that you and your colleagues outsmarted the Germans. Not an easy thing to do. (laughs) Outsmarted the Germans. By the way, by the way, the biggest problem in Germany now is not just the shortage of gas because the uh, Ruskies have turned it off. They don't have enough bottles for their beer. You know, like ninety-nine bottles of beer on the wall. They, they don't have enough bottles. Germans prefer, you know, if they're going to have their beer and drink it at home, they want it in a bottle. They don't want it in an aluminum can. And so the Germans, they're like going out of their mind, going out of their mind because they can't sing that song any longer. 99 bottles of beer on the wall. You know, at their beer hall gardens. Probably Frank Morano hanging around them. Uh, any, anything he can schnorr for free, you know. Sauerkraut on his Wiener schnitzels. And having his Ballantine Blast. That's right, Yankee beer, not Rheingold. The Met beer. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Not this week. Space. No, 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 no. No Frank Morano. It's Curtis Slewa. Monday through Friday. One to five. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Now the question is, with the passing of Lieutenant Uhura, Michelle Nichols, will two of the combatants put their eternal hate, damnation of one another aside? Shatner versus Hmm Takai. Anyway, let's uh, let's see what uh, he has to say about this feud. We were no longer, you know, relevant to the new audience. I mean, can you imagine Bill Shatner running uh, running down those corridors like Chris Pine did? Yeah. That's not a pretty sight. <laughs> You're never so, afraid to go after old Bill Shatner. <laughs> what do you mean go after? I'm he outranks as you. I seize him. He outranks you. He is your commander. You must show some deference, I think. Well, I, um, I'm showing proper uh, deference uh, by saying he should not be playing. <laughs> for his own it's good. For his own good. Now, do you think that both of them will put their differences aside to come for the commemoration, the memorial that will soon be transpiring? What's the over-under point spread on that? Especially when Takai just continues to go after Shatner on a regular basis. Bill Shatner and the rest of you guys from the crew, is he, is he somebody you love to hate or do you actually kind of hate him? Well, you know, he's a difficult guy to work with. He's a charming guy. Mm. And when you first meet him, you know, he will sweet talk you all. <laughs> But every one of us have had problems with him. Why? Because Why he is, is, say, we're playing a scene. Yes. And say you're... One of my lifelong dreams right now, yes. On the script, the dialogue is me talking and the captain listening. 
and of course the director setting up the scene uh, on me. He comes on the set and he sees that, and then he takes the director off to the side, and they have whispered conversation. The director comes back, and the camera is now on Bill. All right. His reaction to what I'm saying is the more important thing, and you know maybe he's right once. Or maybe even twice, but it happens consistently. Sounds a little neurotic to me. And then here was Shatner responding with that bad rug on his head, taking umbrage to the fact that I wonder how his wife died in that pool. You know, all that chlorine can get rid of all the DNA, all the evidence. He would take great umbrage to that. But this was his response. Apparently, he made a point of not inviting you. How do you feel about that? Well, I, you know, the whole thing makes me feel badly. Uh, the poor man. Uh, uh, I, I, there's such a sickness there. It's so painfully obvious that there is a psychosis there. Um, I don't know what his original uh, thing about me was. I have no idea. Yeah, you know. He was hooking up, gay marriage. He just didn't want you around. Look at him. He's he's upset. It's like he's got the whole world before him, right? He sings those stupid songs on the Frank Morano show. It's the only place in the world he gets to sing those songs. He does all these commercials. And then he gets all these residuals. Won't answer the question about the untimely death of his wife at the pool in Canada. I might add, I've continued to press that. But here was uh, Shatner's adversary going at him again. He's Bill Shatner, and you have to accept him for that. But, you know, he is a difficult person to work with. When he would come on my show, he would make it seem like you, George, were crazy. In other words, he (laughs) is a very good actor. Is he so good at acting normal in public that we don't really see the guy who you saw behind the scenes? Is that part of the problem for you? I would become crazy if I took him seriously. I take him as long as I can, and then I check out at 5 o'clock. Check out at 5 o'clock? Wow. You're kidding. They're filming 5 o'clock. I'm out of here. It doesn't matter. Oh, 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 we got eight. No, no, I'm out of here. Let's go to John in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here, John. Hey, I got a question for you. What is the uh, origin and the purpose of the auxiliary police department? And uh, how come we don't see them no more? Well, unfortunately, the auxiliary police, who do very valued work, a lot of uh, brave men, brave women, uh, who uh, give additional time to their community, who wear the uniforms of the police department, they are auxiliaries. Uh, And they want to be able to do more, but the police department holds them back. You'll see them at parades. You'll see them at uh, public functions. Uh, but they don't want them actively patrolling like they used to do. Uh, during the Giuliani years, when uh, Giuliani and his police commissioners were cracking down on the incredible crime that was left uh, to them by David Dinkins in Epnis and out-of-town Lee Brown, the police commissioner then, uh, I remember in the Giuliani years, both with Bratton when he was the police commissioner, Safer, and then Bernie Carrick to finish it out over eight years, effectively used auxiliary police Uh, They are brave. Uh, They need to be recognized. They need to be rewarded. There are thousands of them, and you wouldn't even know they exist. You're absolutely right, John. There is absolutely no attempt on the part of this mayor, 
uh, or the previous mayor, Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, who single-handedly took a Miley Cyrus wrecking ball to this city that we love to honor and recognize auxiliary police who come from all different backgrounds, who volunteer their time, take tremendous risks, pay for their own uniforms, pay for their own equipment. And then what, what kind of recognition do they get from the mayors, from the police commissioners? They get bubkis. They get ugats. Up next, maybe one of the greatest interviews, the bizarro interview of our life. Can you imagine Gene Simmons of KISS and Cindy Adams, who's 92 years old and wanted to know about his tongue? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Now, you know Frank Morano would never have been part of the Kiss Army. No way. Could you imagine Frank Morano at a KISS concert? I mean, let's let's get real here. You know, Al Jolson is his style. You know, Rudy Valley, Brother Can You Spare a Dime. You know, very sedate, old school songs, but Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Ace Freely, Peter Chris, are you kidding? Can you imagine him in concert with that pocket protector with all those nerdy pens and those Sharpies? No way. In fact, Frank Morano is away this week. He had submitted to management 72 different suggestions of people who might take his place over the course of a week. I said, let me see that list. I said, these people couldn't even do a program on junior high school radio. If I were to connect two Dixie cups in a park and have a string together with it, they wouldn't be able to do a talk radio program. So I did a, I interceded. I said to management, guess what? I'm the Pac-Man. I'll eat up more of the radio real estate. He's going to regret being away for a week. And I just tell all of you out there, remember Wally Pip. Remember Wally Pip. Remember how they said, remember the main? Of course you did. Remember Pearl Harbor? Of course you did. 
Remember 9-11? Okay, you remember that. Remember Wally Pitt. Let me just uh, educate some of you uh, who are not into sports. I'm not going to do a Curtis Lee with Super Sports Spectacular on this. But Wally uh, Pip was a very effective, very efficient player for the New York Yankees. Hit his fair number of home runs. was a good fielder, good all-round player, and he ended up having a migraine headache. Not because he was a booze hound or chasing skirts, no. He legitimately had a very bad migraine, got in touch with his manager of the Yankees, and he said, you know, Wally, just take a day off. You never take a day off. We got this kid. Oh, at Columbia University, came in from Washington State. His name is Lou Gehrig. He'll play for the day. Worst mistake that Wally Pip ever made in his life because the next day when he came back, there was a nice spot on the bench for Wally Pip to collect sprint splinters because from that day forward, Lou Gehrig played every game and became the Iron Man of baseball until ALS took him out. And even then, he said he was the luckiest man alive. So, guess what? Frank Morano will regret this. Frank Morano will be Willie Pep. And I'm the Lou Gehrig, the Iron Man of talk radio. I've been doing this for now approximately 35 years in all different forms. And I just want to um, alert all of you that there's two ways to listen. You can be uh, on AM and you're active-minded. That's A-OK all across the nation in the syndicated form. We will conflate those of you who are FM, freaking morons, feeble-minded, fornicating madly, free marijuana, and, of course, Frank Marano. We will conflate you into the AM system so you can get a clear signal on your app, on your streaming, your laptop, on your workplace computer. You can hear it crystal clear. You can be in the middle of the parliament there in Baghdad in Iraq as they're all going. Where is that Bush 43 now with that Cheney, right? Darth Vader. Weapons of mass destruction. Look at what we created over there. They took over their parliament. It's January 6th in Baghdad. But some Americans, good, good, good. Good for what? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. There was the meeting like two ships in the middle of the ocean under the cover of darkness. No two ships could have been more different than the queen of gossip establishing her credibility long ago in the New York Post, the nation's oldest newspaper, Found by founded by Alexander Hamilton, it was uh, a left wing, uh, left wing progressive afternoon newspaper. And then all of a sudden, Rupert Murdoch came along and bought it, and it became right wing and conservative. But she has been very steady, and she has been writing columns and gossip columns for years. Cindy Adams is ninety two years old, and let me tell you something. You've seen her on television. She's got a quick wit, acid tongue, and there is no escape when she starts to hone in with her interview skills. Meantime, many of you have seen Gene Simmons, if not Gene, his tongue, which was uh, actually, uh, actually had an insurance policy written out on his tongue for a million dollars. 
You know, Malone, right? Malone with all the with all the uh, yellow diamonds in his grill. That's a million dollars right there. Gene Simmons had his tongue, which could hang down to his navel, insured for a million dollars. And, you know, when Gene Simmons would be on tour in New York with Kiss, his bandmates, Paul Stanley, Ace Freely, Peter Chris, they would go to a place called Katz's Deli in Houston Street, which is frequented now by a lot of hipsters and millennials from all over the world. And the waiter would go up to Gene Simmons and say, I know you want tongue with a little bit of mustard, right, Mr. Simmons? Of course. Because what was he best known for? Not his schlong, his tongue. Even though he claimed, right, in his memoirs that he had bedded down 5,000 women, as opposed to Will Chamberlain, arch nemesis of Bill Russell, who unfortunately passed away to the hereafter earlier in the day at the age of 88, uh, who was probably the greatest center of all time. Nobody, nobody was better defensively. Nobody could box out better than Bill Russell. Nobody could rebound better than Bill Russell. Nobody could take on Will Chamberlain like Bill Russell did for years. But uh, Will Chamberlain claimed to have betted down 10,000. So times Gene Simmons by two, and you got Will Chamberlain. And I never knew that Will Chamberlain had the kind of tongue that Gene Simmons had. So here's Cindy Adams, right? You would say, what the hell is Cindy Adams interviewing Gene Simmons for? Because this is the last go-round. That's right, Kiss Army, last go-round for Kiss. He claims they're not going on concert after this. But they always claim that, right? And then they go on a Depends tour. You know, all their groupies are wearing Depends. The, the roadies are wearing Depends. And the band itself, they wear double Depends. Because they're getting up there in years. So I want you to hear Cindy, most unlikely candidate to be interviewing Gene Simmons. And boy, she leaves nothing back. On that interview plate. My mother had gotten divorced from my father, who was a hound, had four or five other marriages and half-sisters and half-brothers all over the place. I guess he was doing the Lord's work. The good book says, spread thy seed, and he took no prisoners. He was just bang, 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 bang. Uh, It seems to me his son is doing similarly. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're out there doing the work, honey. I certainly have <laughs> sold my soul's, uh, oats, but uh, I've been married to Shannon now quite a few years, and this is the only marriage I will ever have. Hmm. He did bang, 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 bang. It's just sort of like uh, Elon Musk's dad in South Africa who doesn't even know how many women he's impregnated and how many kids he has, and he just wants to do it more and more. Like father, like son, right? And we're going to believe that Elon Musk is not having sex any longer. Oh, I haven't had sex in a month of Sundays. I live in a, in a little hobble, 328 square feet. Get out of here. And the media buys it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, he could own Twitter. We, were, we don't want our tweets affected. So we'll write this propaganda. You know, I haven't had sex in a long time. You think Gene Simmons would say that, huh? Well, Cindy didn't let him off the hook. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 
Cindy Adams, who will not retire at the age of 92, prolific writer, appears on many TV shows and obviously has her own radio show and her own podcast. Doesn't everybody have their own podcast of late? Even my plumber. Even my plumber, my dentist. Oh, can you listen to my podcast, Curtis? Do you think I have freaking time to listen to podcasts? Oh, you got to listen to my podcast. It's the best plumber's podcast. Why would I want to listen to a plumber's podcast? I have no no interest whatsoever in plumbing or in dentistry. I hate dentists. I fear dentists. It's the only thing I fear in life is going under to a dentist with a drill in his hand. Oh, you got to listen to my podcast. Maybe I can play my podcast while I'm drilling out your molars. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's Gene Simmons telling Cindy Adams what it's going to be like to retire. Streisand made 700 final tours. Is this to be one of your 700 final tours? Well, this has to be our final one. Uh, I'm turning 73 um, this August, tomorrow, tomorrow, next month. And by the nature of what we do, I carry around about 40 pounds of extra armor and seven-inch platform heels, the yeah. dragon boots. Yeah. So the physicality of what we do, it has to be the last tour. I can't do what blues musicians do, which is sit in a chair and just comfortably pick at a guitar. Hmm. 40 pounds of gear. Have any of you out there ever been to a KISS concert? Have you yourselves been part of the KISS Army fan club? I know you uh, probably use that as a cover. uh, A cover. Blaze. What kind of a name is that? Blaze. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. 9222. And then here's Gene Simmons telling Cindy Adams how he is number one, second to none. He is the male species. Gene Simmons will do what? What are you going to do? Sit home and crochet? What are you going to do? Well, uh, I'm the male of the species, so we tend not to crochet. Okay. But we'll buy you the stuff so that you can crochet. Thank you very much. Smart ass. Yeah, go ahead. I'm the male of the species. Isn't that the ultimate in being a misogynist, a sexist? I mean, he's loud and proud about that. But then naturally, Cindy goes for the money question. All right, Gene Simmons, how many women, come on, how many women have you bedded down? How many women have you had sex with? If you are supposed to have slept with 5,000 women which seems absolutely impossible, there would be very little of you left. You'd be half your size by now. How much, how much, how much could you possibly have done in terms of making love? Not that I'm offering or anything. I'm just asking. I don't think making love is the right uh, term. You know, when you've got a horny 14-year-old boy who goes around and does all that that's that ain't love what what is it the 14 year old boy does i don't want to miss anything what does he do (laughs) that's what he does is that what you do when you're making love on i don't hear you the male (laughs) of the species uh it takes a long time for the heart 
to connect to the physicality of it. That's the same. That's the second time he said, "I'm the male species." Excuse me, Gene Simmons. There are more of us males out here. You're not the only one out there. Boy, you notice how Cindy, boy, she does not retreat. She does not surrender. I don't think she blushes. Let's take a normal female reporter or columnist or gossip columnist. She might have blushed like two or three times. Not Cindy. I mean, she's like a pit bull right in there. Then she was asking Jean about the propensity for a Jew to change his name. Everybody knows all these things, but in case I have some idiot who just tuned in for the first time, I have to go back and ask the simple questions. How did you start with the name Gene Simmons? How did you start with the name Kiss? How did you start with the makeup? Tell me. Well, um, being a Jew and coming from Israel especially, I noticed that predominantly in rock and roll, there just weren't any yids, none. (laughs) And the ones who I later found out were, changed their name. Basically, dress British, think Yiddish. So, yeah. uh, Tony Curtis, in his later years, he and I became friends. We used to go to dinner and speak only Hungarian, because <laughs> I'm fluent in yeah. Hungarian, among a few other languages. And then found out that his real name was Bernie Schwartz. Yeah. And that Kurt yeah. Douglas was also a Yid who had a Russian Jewish name, and on and on and on. Now, this uh, opens up an opportunity for Curtis Slewa booby prize. Don't ask, don't tell. I throw nickels around like manhole covers. But if you happen to know what Kirk Douglas's Russian Jewish name was and where he was birthed and grew up, you can win a Curtis Slewa booby prize. Now, because of restrictions by the Board of Health because of monkeypox, Uh, I normally would have sent my belly button lint, would have hermetically sealed it in an envelope with scotch tape, and then would have sent it to you COD, cash on delivery. Any sucker, I mean uh, recipient, would then have to pay cash upon reception. So I've been restricted along those lines by the U.S. Postal Service and definitely the Board of Health recently because of this uh, monkeypox issue. So uh, I know many of you are waiting with bated breath for my belly button lint. I, I'm not permitted to send it. So you'll just have to close your eyes. This is theater of the mind. And imagine what kind of a booby prize you can get. If you happen to know the specificity of the question that I asked. And I'm not going to repeat it twice. No, 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 no. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. And it's interesting because I remember when I was traveling through Israel, I'd been to Israel three times. I was there after the first Intifada. A lot of people were there. I was there after the second Yasser Arafat Intifada. Nobody was there. Oh, the tough Jews in America. We're not going over there. They're throwing rocks. So I'm over there in Israel. I'm doing live broadcasts. I'm in Jerusalem, right, where they blew up the Sabaros. I'm on the bus doing a broadcast. Everybody else is, I'm too afraid to ride the bus. And I said to myself, what happened to the tough Jews? Well, all the tough Jews are in Israel. But the Americans, oh, nebishy, shlubby, oh, I I don't want to die. 
Oh, when uh, Yasser, excuse me, when Saddam Hussein was throwing those cruise missiles, remember? Right into, right into Israel itself. There were Americans running around with baseball mitts thinking they could c- catch those cruise missiles. Not. So second intifada I was there. And I was there one more time for the anniversary of the state of Israel. I have pretty good working knowledge. I remember I was in Haifa right on the coast. You know, Haifa's like half Arab, half uh, half Jew. The Arabs are mostly uh, Muslim, but some Christians. And then, of course, you got the Druze. Did you know that, huh? huh? Matt Blaze, you know who the Druze are? Oh, boy, you don't want to mess with the Druze, especially if you're a family member and they think that you eloped. They come looking for you. They'll kill their own, the Druze. And then the Bedouins. Love the Bedouins out there with their camels, the dromedary. Like the dromedary, one humps, as opposed to many of our callers who are two humps. That's why I refer to people as hump heads. It's exactly what Frank Morano is, a hump head. Can store more water with two humps instead of one as a dromedary. You see, you see what we end up doing? Talking about Jews, talking about Bedouins. Talking about Arabs who are Muslims, Arabs who are Christians. Talking about righteous Gentiles, talking about Jews. Ashkenazis, and yes, those that they call sand fleas. Oh, the Sephardic. I've heard many Ashkenazi. Look at those sand fleas. I say, that's a fellow Jew, right? It's the tribe of Israel, right? Eh, we're Ashkenazis. Oh, you think you're better. Well... Look at that guy. He's from Yemen. How do you know he's from Yemen? Look at him. How can you tell he's from Yemen? Hey, look at him. He's not an Ashkenazi, that's for sure. Look how he puts the schmear on the bagel. I don't eat bagels. I guess I'm an Ashkenazi, although I'm a Gentile, right? I have Bialis. Bialis? Where are Bialis? I'll travel the world for a Bialis. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Tommy. Your turn to be heard here, Tommy. Uh, good evening, Curtis. I know you have better days, so I won't ask. I made that mistake once, and I'll never do it again. Um, I'm pretty sure his his. He, I know they were uh, Kurt Douglas's nickname was Izzy Dimsy, and uh, we were talking about him the other night. But it, it, I can't pronounce his real name. Is there Daniel Witz? No, 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 like no, let me ask you a question, Tommy. You expect me to believe that the other night you were talking about Kurt Douglas? In what context? Ashkenazi Jews. Um, we, we, my friend is my friend Naomi is an Ashkenazi Jew. So I yes, I we were talking about it. She said Kurt Douglas is, and it, it means about six other people. I'm like, I don't know, they know who he is. I remembered Kurt Douglas. Oh, hold on, so, say, hold on, Matt Blaze, Matt Blaze, put Tommy down a second. I want you to park him off on the shelf. I don't buy that. Oh, just the other day I was talking about Kurt Douglas. Get out of here. You see, I'm substituting for Frank Morano for the week, and they figure they can pull their chain and chew my shorts like I'm some kind of schmuck, like I'm a putz. Who in their right mind would have been talking about Kurt Douglas even in this last week? He wasn't in the news his son wasn't in the news. You know, last time I heard about Michael Douglas, he was saying, well, I have throat cancer from orally fixating women. And his wife went nuts. Remember? What? 
You would have thought he would have said, well, you know, from chewing tobacco. You didn't get that from chewing bazooka bubblegum, that's for sure. He actually said publicly, Michael Douglas, my throat cancer is the result of me orally fixating women. You're a married man, you idiot. You just thought your wife is going, oh, come see, come, sir, let live. How embarrassing. Let's try John in Blue Point. I have a feeling uh, the over-under point spread is we'll have a lot more luck with John in Blue Point. Am I correct, John? You are correct, I think, uh, Curtis. Uh, I, I don't know his last name. His first name is Izzy, his nickname. Uh, and he was born in Amsterdam. In fact, the family started the house up there. Let me ask you a question. What do you got, a, a full orchestra behind you there? No, it's a freaking car I'm driving. It needs a wheel bearing. I'm sorry. I apologize. Oh, wait, wait. How, how, how sincere are you with this apology? Would you put it in blood? Would you, would you... No, I'm not, not that sincere, no. Well, then, then we're not giving you a booby prize. This is like a blood oath. I'm not playing around here. You got a full, you got a full band behind you, an orchestra you call up, and you sound like mumbles on Dick Tracy. And we're supposed to understand what you're saying? And, you know, put your mouth right there on the phone. I like some of these guys. You know, they're like eight feet away. They got, you know, they got the phone on. You know, it's on speaker. Hey, you on speaker? No, lying their ass off, right? You know they're on speaker. For their own self-gratification. See, they're like eight feet away. They're pleasurizing themselves. But get your mouth on the phone. You're not going to get monkeypox. I I assure you guys out there, has nothing to do with being bisexual. Has nothing to do with being homosexual. That is the transmission of body fluids. It is not talking in to the phone. Let's see if Harvey can handle this. Uh, Harvey, uh, this is really tough stuff, isn't it, Harvey? Yeah, right. How you doing today? <laughs> How do you, yeah, okay, how do you, yeah, wait, 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 Harvey, how do you think I'm doing? I have a separated shoulder. How do you think oh, I'm doing, Harvey? I think you're doing lousy. Very good. Very astute. Very cogent of you, Harv. <laughs> By the way, we're going to okay, be talking. Yeah, uh, hold on a second, Harvey. Slow down, pal. We're going to be talking about your namesake coming up, Harvey Weinstein. What is it like to have the same name as that perv? Harvey Weinstein, Harvey. Um, I wish uh, my parents would have named me something different. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back. Uh, I want you to think of an episode in The Honeymooners. Remember, there was yeah, this got, little guy's yeah. playing pool, and Jackie Gleason and Art Carney say, oh, no, that's our table. And then the little guy says, I'm going to get my friend Harvey. And then all of a sudden, Jackie Gleason goes, oh, I'm going to be afraid of Harvey, Harvey. And then all of a sudden, Harvey comes in. My God, he had cauliflower ears. He had a big schnoz. Looked like he had been in, like, a fight the night before. I mean, what was it like growing up with a name like Harvey? Be honest. Uh, at the time, it was mostly in the Bronx, where it was 95% Jewish. And uh, everybody there knows. Harvey was Harvey. Harvey was uh, Harvey. Was twice, it made fun. My, my last name, though, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but uh, 
that's what made everybody uh, laugh and, you know, call me something else. No, no, no. Hold on a second. What is this? What are you, CIA here? We, we we can't know your last name. What is the IRS after you or the narco terrorist from Mexico? No, just my last name was uh, Hershey Bar. I mean, that's what they called me. Oh, Hershey. 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 Yeah, hey, hey, that's a good hey. name. Harvey, yeah. wait, wait a second. Remember, my mother, Francesca, would give me two Hershey Bars. When I had to take the SAT test at Midwood High School, it was a Saturday, sharpen two pencils for energy, she said. When you're passing out because you don't know the answers, Curtis, just eat the Hershey bar. I said, Mom, will that give me the answers? No, but it'll keep you awake. Yeah, yeah, Hershey, uh, well, it was a chocolate that, uh, and sugar. Harvey, are you aware that the, the Hershey Company in York, Pennsylvania, put out an advisory the other day? that said, come Halloween, which is their major sales of the year, that they may not have enough supply of Hershey's Kisses, Hershey's Chocolate Bars, Reese, Peanut Butter Cups, and Choo Choo Charlie was an engineer. Good and plenty, plenty good. Good and plenty, plenty good. Good and plenty, plenty good. Are you aware? Are you aware of that, Harvey? Yeah, yeah. Everything's being um, rationed. Uh, nothing's going to be uh, like it was three years ago. Yeah. Harvey, Harvey, why are you delaying giving me the answer? Uh, we were supposed to cut right to the chase. You were supposed to tell me the real name of Kurt Douglas and where he was birthed. Okay, it was Amsterdam, New York, where they have a statue of him, actually. And um, his real name was, um, let me see. Uh, what do you mean? What do you mean, let me see? What do you got? Yeah, uh, what do you got? It written in your palm, you know, like we used to cheat in school on the test. You write the name yeah, in your yeah. palm. Yeah, I, 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 I forget what what I ate last night. You forgot what you anyway, ate. His, his name was Izor Danielovich. What, 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 what are you doing? What is this hooked on phonics here? Yeah, that's his last name. Uh, uh, it starts with a D, A, N, I, Oh, 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 wow, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, uh, yeah, that's going to help me on my SAT test. I thought SAT meant Saturday. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, Harvey, know you know what I'm going to uh, do? Uh, you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to ask you one more question. This is make or break. This is pick or pan. Remember the old American bandstand? Pick a pan. Yeah. What was Amsterdam, New York, best known for? Amsterdam, uh, windows. <laughs> no, uh, I, I have no idea, really. I'm only up there about a year. Oh, what, did you get out of prison? Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> no, the only reason. Uh, uh, trust me, you, Gloversville, Amsterdam, the only reason you'd be living up there is if you just got out of prison upstate. No, that's it. Yeah, West, down, downstate. Well, you know what I'm going to do for you, Harvey? I'm, I'm going to be square with you. Let, let's give Harvey a Curtis Lieber booby prize. He tried hard. And let's face it, he's been called Harvey his whole life. It's like having a stigma. Harvey! Oh, we're going to be talking about that perv Harvey Weinstein. You're going to hear an interview 
about the book written on him that is going to rock your world. Question I'm asking you is, what was Amsterdam, New York, best known for? And don't tell me Kirk Douglas. We need to know what his Russian name was. And we need to know what product was most identifiable with an Amsterdam, New York. It was the only place for a while that this product was made in. If you wanted it, it had to be sent to you from Amsterdam, New York. Do I need to connect the dots any more than that? 1-800-848-9222. But if you do not let us have this table, I am going in and tell my friend Harvey. Harvey? <laughs> oh, Harvey! <laughs> You're going to tell your friend Harvey. Harvey! He's going to tell Harvey. And a nice name. I like that. a nice name, That's Harvey. a nice name, Harvey. I don't care if you tell Harvey. Go ahead and tell him. He's got me mighty scared. I'm shaking a dust. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Simmons' tongue right down to his navel. And Cindy Adams said, I don't think that's real. I don't think that's real. I think that's a fugazi. She's 92. She's interviewing Gene Simmons, who probably had every STD that the Board of Health ever reported on. Claims to have had sex with 5,000 people. Claims to have bedded down Cher. Claims to have bedded down Diana Ross. How do I know that? I share a birthday with Diana Ross. March 26th. She's slightly older than me. So is Cher. By the way, if Cher has one more facelift, that face is going to snap like an old rubber band. So here it is, Cindy Adams. Quite the gal. Did you detect a little sexual tension there between Gene Simmons, who just wants to put another notch on his belt? Notice he said, oh, it's not love. It's just sex. I have vertigo. Who would have ever thought Cindy Adams... Interviewing Gene Simmons. Is that not bizarro what? She didn't let up on him. He wasn't able to play his macho, maniacal, misogynist, sexist routine. She said, oh, you think you're the epitome of the male species? I got another thing for you. You know, when my husband was alive, Joey Adams, he said, Joey Adams? He had a hose. Yeah, and he wasn't a fireman either. Take that, Gene Simmons. 
Anyway, let's get back to the phones. To Bob. Your turn to be heard here, Bob. Hi, Curtis. I'm from Amsterdam, New York, Kirk's hometown. Hmm. And his name is Isher Danielovich. And Amsterdam is famous for was the carpet capital of the world. Yes, you are so correct. You couldn't be more hopelessly right now. Now, this is a simple, this is like a bunt, yeah, you know, yeah. to the opposite field where there are no players. It's easy. You'll walk to first base. What was nearby Gloversville known for? Gloves, making leather. Very good. Now, at one time, every glove made in America was made in Gloversville, which is right next to Amsterdam. Right, yes. At one time, every square yard of carpet in America was made in Amsterdam, New York. And My whole family worked on the carpet mills till, till I came along. And then they, they didn't, after about the 1960s, they really weren't making the carpet here anymore. No, in fact, you couldn't even get a throw rug from Amsterdam, New York any longer, right? That's true. I was in Gloversville. They had a youth detention center up there for a while. I think they closed it. Tryon or something like that. Tryon School for Boys. Bad. Bad boys. Mike, Mike Tyson went there. Yeah, I know. They should have sent him from there to, straight to Attica. <laughs> but it was a tough right. place. And uh, I was up he there. You were in the box there. Yeah, I was up there in downtown Gloversville. Could have yeah. rolled the sagebrush through there. But at one time, one of the old timers told me, Curtis, you will not believe that every glove Made in America. Now, these weren't baseball gloves like Rawlings or Spaldings or the pancake mitts that we used to have as kids. You know, they had uh, no uh, status at all. We used to hide them underneath our wing because they were from Formosa, a.k.a. Taiwan. We called right. them pancake mitts. But every other glove, like ladies' gloves, men's gloves, fashionable gloves, the gloves that you would buy at Saks, the gloves that you would buy at Macy's, the gloves that you would buy at Nordstrom's, they were all made in Gloversville, New York. Yeah. I think they still make a few there, but it's almost all gone. Yeah, in fact, I met a guy. I normally would go once a year up to Saratoga for the races, and there was a guy, he would have his Cadillac out, and apparently he still, manufactures certain specialty gloves. You know, they're customized gloves. Yes, he's, yeah, right, right. He's keeping the tradition of Gloversville alive. There are uh, just a few still make them. Well, I want you to hold on the line. Bob, you have done us a service by correctly <laughs> pronouncing the Russian Jewish name of Kirk Douglas. And also, Curtis, it was an honor to talk to you. Oh, no, no. I really admire you, man. I love getting calls from Amsterdam and Gloversville. We haven't yet gotten a call from Gloversville. I'm a little disappointed, Bob. You know, I listen to WABC all day long. I can get it real good at night and enough to listen to it during the day. Yeah, Bob, uh, I was recently on my way up to Rochester. That's R-O-T, Chester. Yeah. yeah. And all the way up. All the way up, going right on through Binghamton uh, into Rochester, we we could hear in that SUV 
the 50,000 powerful watts of sound clear, clear. Yes, yeah. I can hear you at night just as clear as uh, the other big station in the area here. Yes. Bob, I want you to know you're a radio guy. This thing of ours, right? How important it is, right? (laughs) Yes, it is. You could easily be watching TV now and buying all these crazy products that would get you to lose weight because that's when they sell those products in the wee hours of the morning, those infomercials. But you choose to indulge in theater of the mind. Especially when you're on. You're you're a real entertaining guy, and you're a good conservative. Well, also, the fact is there were plans uh, that went awry that when they shot me five times, they were going to wrap me in a Kaufman carpet. And then I was going to be swimming with the fishes in Jamaica Bay. So I'm very attuned to carpets. You remember that scene in Goodfellas when Joe Pesci, you know, he's off to become a made man, you know. And yes. Robert De Niro is calling up. How they go? How they, well, he's dead. There's nothing you can do. Remember, they shot him in the back of the head. He thought he was going to be a made man. And then they, they covered him in the carpet and they dragged him away. Yep. Billy Bats. That's right, babe. Get your shine box, huh? <laughs> That's what I tell Frank Morano all the time. Hey, get your shine box, Frank. That's a classic. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, you would have loved the debate that I had with Fernando Mateo. I crushed him in the Republican primary to become mayor. And they asked me towards the end, what do you most like about Fernando Mateo's hip? He lays some good carpet. The guy, the idiot, never understood that was a diss. He used to lay carpet in the Lower East Side. I actually had carpet laid by Fernando Mateo's crew in the apartment that I shared with Lisa at that time. Um, I, uh, what was that, first, second, third? Oh, second wife. Uh, and it was Fernando Mateo's crew that laid it. I said, oh, he, he lays such good carpet. The idiot didn't understand that I was, like, backhanding him. The crowd understood. I guess that's why I was able to crush him. He couldn't even get that one. Anyway, let's go to the phones here. Oh, let's go to Kevin in Oyster Bay. Your turn to be heard here, Kevin. Uh, Okay, I'm not going to ask you how you're doing. As a kid, I went to a KISS concert and um, when we were leaving, um, the news had already spread out, and it was total confusion. Um, the, the, the late papers had the headlines, the, the boss is dead. People thought Springsteen had died. People were crying. They thought Springsteen. Uh, but it happened to be, and I'm a young guy at the time. I didn't know. It, it happened to be one of the bosses of the mob, and it was in the 80s. I think it was 1985 and uh, December. And um, it was the same night as Kiss concert I was at. People were going wild and crazy at that concert. But it apparently it, it already had happened earlier in the evening in Manhattan. And, um, uh, you know, I'm a kid. I don't know what the heck they, what they meant by the boss, but I knew the boss was Springsteen as a kid. People thought it was Springsteen, but it was. It was one of the top mob guys that got hit in December of 1985. And also um, Judas Priest is the uh, only uh, 
group, uh, rock group, hard rock, whatever you want to call them, is banned from Madison Square Garden because the the, the crowd went wild one night. In the, 19- the 80s were crazy. In the 1980s, they um, uh, throw in M80s. People don't know what it is. It's you know it's a very loud version of the firecracker, and uh, they were throwing seats, ripping the foam out of the seats, and they banned um, Judas Priest from Madison Square Garden. And, uh, uh, go Buchanan, yeah. go Buchanan, go Buchanan, go Buchanan. Steve from Manhattan, right? Come on, Steve. Come on, I vetted you out, Steve. Nice try. Tried to use vocal camouflage on me. Did I cold bust Steve from Manhattan or what? He was on a roll. But then I said, 1985. Hey, wait a second. That's Steve from Manhattan. Go Buchanan. Go Buchanan. Go Buchanan. Go Buchanan. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Yeah, Frank, he doesn't doesn't take a walk on the wild side. Come on, you really think he'd be hanging out in the Lower East Side with Lou Reed with a spike in his arm? Nowadays, it would be fentanyl instead of heroin. Holly came from Miami, FLA. Hitchhiked away across USA. Plucked her eyebrows on the way, shaved her legs, and then he was a she. She says, hey, babe. Wait a second. Let me straighten you out, Lou Reed. It's he, she, they. Said, hey, honey. It's he, she, they. Get your pronouns straight here, Lou. I got to tell you this in your grave. He, she, they. Or what I prefer to just say. Little Joe never once gave it away. Little Joe, then that makes him... Everybody XY. Had to That's pay it. Pay. Just refer to their chromosomes. A XY. Hustle here and a hustle there. New York City is the place where they said, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild I'm side. I'm assuming you're referring to an said, XX. Hey, Joe, take a walk a on woman. the wild side. Let's hear it for all those transgenders out there, those people in transition who are walking on the wild side. Sugar Pump Fairy Who are identified by 72 different terms now. That's Look right, Matt Blaze. And on a moment's notice, you must take uh, take notice of how they want to be referred to. And you must refer to them in that capacity. Now, they could be asexual one minute, which means they're not interested in sex. And then all of a sudden, they are pansexual, which means they'll have sex with everything, anytime, anywhere. All within the course of a two-hour spin. And it is incumbent upon you to respect their wishes. Our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Paul. Who's calling from Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here, Paul. All right. Good morning. I was going to try my uh, hand at comedy and ask you if you're going to do the $1,000 minute in Frank's place. Um. 
You want me to do the $1,000 mini contest, Paul? <laughs> it might be good because I haven't heard a winner in a couple months that I've been listening. Paul, Paul, it's never intended to have a winner because just when you think that you are on the cusp of victory instead of the tragedy of defeat like ABC's Wide World of Sports, the last two questions numb your brain. So, Paul, the, I so. the first... I was wondering if you heard anything about Al Pacino lately. I haven't heard anything about Al Pacino. And then, Paul, you know, I know you do musicians. No, no, well, Paul, Paul, have, you, have you seen Al Pacino of late? He looks like a cadaver in formaldehyde. Have you seen him? No, I'm sorry. It's been like 10 years. He was filming a movie up here with Robert De Niro. And is it Don Wahlberg or Donnie Wahlberg? Is that it? it they were at the Star Cafe down there in Bridgeport. We do a movie called Righteous Kill about you know, one cop that Paul, goes over Paul, the edge. Uh, let, me ask, let me ask you a question, Paul. Your life, is it so simple, so lacking in meaning that you waited around for Bobby De Niro to come up there with Mark Wahlberg, and then all of a sudden you got excited, you got titillated? Is, is that what I am to derive from this conversation, Paul? You know, the reporter put it in the paper, said, oh, they're coming to town, and the reporter's putting it there. I have to go down there and talk to the woman in charge until I get to work for security for her for free for the day. And then she said, maybe we better call the real police. Let me ask you a question, Paul. Did you get that in your local penny saver that was delivered on your front porch by a hobo? No, uh, I don't know. Not anymore, you know. Paul, Paul, you uh, seem you seem like yeah, I know. You seem <laughs> you're exasperated I, like we are listening to you. Paul, I wish I wish you could have uh, I wish upon a star that you could have been a winner of that amazing bamboozled rip off of the thousand dollars and ten uh, ten questions in one minute, and you win $1,000. By the way, whose money would that have been, Paul? Well, it might have been Mohegan Sons if I had take your trip. But that, I that's right. No, no, no. That would have been the Mohegan Sons. Because <laughs> if, if Frank hadn't uh, won in craps, which he never does, you would have never seen that money. He, you would have, he would have had to have taken a payday loan to be able to pay that off. You know well, you know, I know how it is to struggle as a gambler, but, you know, if you're at the casino, they get you roped in, they say. This is, you see what I got to deal with the next few days? I got to listen to, to get a shrimp the Frank Morano listeners. My God, it's like special ed radio. You know, I, I, look, I'm a good trooper. I'll deal with special ed folks. I understand this thing of ours attracts all different kinds of people. Boy, that guy was, like, desperate to win, you know? This is a guy who could be at the slot machine at Mohegan Sun, right? And he's, like, drooling, waiting for the Bluebird special. The Blue Plate special, excuse me, Bluebird. He would have he eaten a Bluebird. You think that guy could win at slots? No way! He's probably sitting at home saying, I could win the Mega Millions. I could be a billionaire. You know, not that... That movie, uh, I could be a millionaire. No, I could be a billionaire. 
Wow, these are typical hey, mad plays. This is typical Frank Morano listeners. I mean, you know, I need to translate it. You know, so we need to put subtitles underneath them. It's like Ozzy Osbourne talking. What the hell did he say? Where did you find these people, huh? You know, I, I realize it's a syndicated show now all across the nation. I realize there are many, many affiliates that are involved now with this empire of Frank Morano. Man, it's like, hmm. You heard the term dollar short, day late? Hmm. Leaving a little bit back at the crap tables, that's for sure. I have no idea what's going on. I know that. Up next, so you're not going to want to miss this. A lot of you have wondered, what the hell happened to Harvey Weinstein when last seen? He was L.A. County Jail. Yeah, I've been locked up there, so I know. He was in L.A. County Jail, and they did a check of his 8 4 foot cell, and you know what they found under his mattress? A box of milk duds. He violated. You don't understand. You're in L.A. County Jail. You could have a shiv. You could have a straight-edge razor. That's not a problem because everybody has that in L.A. County Jail. But Harvey Weinstein had a box of milk duds. And when they ran it, they found out it was from a nearby movie theater. You know, the big box of milk duds. I'm going to let you know the double trouble that Harvey Weinstein has made for himself with the milk duds. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. song, Hollywood Swinging, is that a man who used to swing all through Hollywood, he could raise millions and millions of dollars for Miramax, the film company that he and his brother ran, two boys from Flushing, two Mamelukes, like Frank Morano, a Mamelukes. And they took over the movie industry because they made quality productions. I mean, you know, it wasn't these... These uh, cartoonish caricatures, the action movies. It was quality movies. Everybody said, wow, if you're in a Miramax movie, you got a shot to win an Oscar as a man or a woman. And so who would they go to? Harvey! Not like that guy in the Bronx, that Harvey. He was like, I don't know if I want to be associated with that per Harvey Weinstein. Right now, imagine... To be at the pinnacle of success, and now to be in an 8 by 4 foot cell in Punk City, protective custody in L.A. County Jail. I've been in L.A. County Jail. Not a place you want to be. 
A lot of bloods, a lot of cribs, a lot of sorreños and norteños. Those are Mexican gangs, sorreños from the south, norteños from the north. Cutthroats. But Harvey is in uh, PC, Punk City, awaiting trial in Los Angeles. As you know, he was found guilty of raping and sexually assaulting women in New York. Now he's got to go through the same process in L.A. County. He's hoping that Garçon, the district attorney, uh, does not get recalled because he would love to have Garçon. You see, this is classic old cool in the gang as opposed to the hardy, hardy cool in the gang. These were band members, uh, family members from uh, Jersey City who were followers of Scooey Louis Farrakhan in the Nation of Islam. And I, you know how many times you say, like, I disagree with them, I hate them for who they follow, but I love their music. Like, how many of you, you hate Bruce Springsteen, right? Liberal, progressive, but yeah, I love the boss. You love him, huh? Working class hero guy? You're willing to pay $5,000 for those rip-off tickets? And where's Stevie Van Zandt, right? Oh, yeah, East Street Band. Don't ask me. It's capitalism. Don't ask me. Where are all the Bruce fans now, right? Oh, working class hero, right? He got $550 million for his musical library and now wants to suck more money out of your pockets. You know, Matt Blazer will be the first one in line to pay $5,000. Shabu! El Jefe, Chris Christie. Oh, Bruce, please pay attention to me. I'm your number one fan. I'm your sickle fan, Tony and Lackey. I'm a groupie. Here I am. I'm jiggle-wiggling right here. He ignores him. But that has nothing to do with Harvey Weinstein. So the other over on the point spread is he's going to get found guilty of the charges in L.A., and, man, there was a time he'd go down Hollywood Boulevard to the Chateau Marmont on Sunset Boulevard. I mean, the Chateau Marmont. And people would line up. Harvey, I want to be in your film. And all the starlets would say, Harvey, I'll do almost anything to be in your film. And that was like an invitation for Harvey to perv on them. And, man, he became the biggest perv of the many pervs in Hollywood. I want you to listen to this interview because it was done by the queen of radio, and yes, I'm pimping off her style. Joan Hamburg had Ken Aletta on. Ken Aletta has been writing books and magazine articles and doing PBS appearances. Remember that, that Charlie Rose? I hate him. I loathe him. I despise Charlie Rose. When I was uh, being interviewed by Charlie Rose, he said, you're lying about Gotti Sr., you know, ordering your execution. Really, Charlie? What would you know, Charlie? You have any, you have any street experience? Another perv, Charlie Rose. What happened, Charlie, huh? You out there in the Hamptons going, what happened? It's like Harvey, you're a perv. We'll talk about him later on because we're going to do the racket update of Frank Morano. Going to talk about the Columbos. We're going to do this in waves this whole week. And I want to talk about Harvey because I had a love-hate relationship with Harvey. You know, I went to the movie, 
the founder. You know what the founder was about? No, no, not Jesus Christ, not Hashem, not Allah, not Buddha. No, no, no. The founder was about Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc, who supposedly started Mickey D's, right? I mean, look, uh, I'm an alumni member, night manager of Mickey D's. That's where I started the Guardian Angels fighting crime in 1979 and the subways and streets. And now we're in 13 countries, 130 cities. Do you think I learned a franchise, huh? And then I was left out of the book. Oh, yeah, they wrote a book of people who were infamous or famous who at one time had worked at Mickey D's. And who is the first schmuck they had? Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos of Amazon. Now, you're telling me that Jeff Bezos was in the kitchen there, you know, flipping burgers or making fries or putting boil out in and cleaning the fry machine? Hell no. Must have come and had a cup of coffee. Oh, they devoted a whole chapter to Jeff Bezos. And everybody's saying, how come they didn't write about you, Curtis? How come? And I was invited to the movie premiere in New York City of The Founder. The Founder was a film that was produced by Harvey Weinstein and Miramax. And I had known Harvey Weinstein over the years. Every year he would come to News America Marketing. That was the Murdoch company. And they would have a fundraiser for the Police Athletic League. And he would tell my friend Johnny Legit, hey, just tell me. Tell me the check I got to write. Everybody loved Harvey Weinstein. He was great. He was a true New Yorker, except if you were a woman. We didn't know that. So I go to the founder, and he has produced it. Horrible movie, I might add. Michael Keaton, I mean, I learned how ruthless Ray Kroc was. He stole McDonald's from two brothers in Southern California. I mean, this guy, he stole people's wives. This guy stole everything. He was a kleptomaniac. But his wife donated millions of dollars to the Salvation Army, and that was good after he was dead. So I'm sitting with Harvey, who's like, has attention deficit disorder. You know, Harvey's like, yeah, hey, Harvey, 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 Harvey. Curtis, I invited you here to the uh, premiere of The Founder, starring Michael Keaton. Because nobody else would come. I said, what do you mean? This is a bomb. I just lost 25 mil, and I know it, but I got to be here because, you know, it's my production. It's a horrible film. Do me a favor. I want you to walk the red carpet because nobody else would come to this movie. It is so bad. I'm telling you. Hey, this is the business I have chosen. Some are good. Some are bombs. So I did all of that. You know, the paparazzi. Click, click. What are you doing here? Yeah, I used to be nightmare. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mickey D's. That's right. You had M stamped all over your body, including your, your jock strap. That's right. That was me. So then he sits down with Curtis. There are some clouds on the horizon, but I want to do your biopic. I'd like to do that as one of my upcoming projects. And people say, oh, Harvey wants to do it. He wants to do your film. Harvey, oh, oh, you know what that means? That's like God is talking to you. I say, calm down, man. What does he mean by these clouds on the horizon? I remember asking that like two months later. <laughs> 
<laughs> front page of all the papers. He's the perv of all pervs. So the guy tells me, I guess he's not doing your biopic. I was this close, Matt Blaze. This close, second time. I almost had the big movie made. It was John Avelson. Remember John Avelson with Rocky Stallone? Rocky, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine or more. Then it was uh, John Avelson who did the Karate Kid, Karate Kid 1, Karate Kid 2. He did the movie Joe. He was on top of the world. He said, Curtis, my son is a guardian angel. He was. I would like to do your movie. Oh, I would be honest. I got these two Israeli guys, Golan and Globus. They own Canon, you know, and they're going to let me be the producer. I'm going to be the director. It's okay. I know these guys. Let's go over and meet with them in Century Village in L.A. We go over there, big, huge building at the time, Canon Films. We're in one room, me, John Avelson, and one of the brothers. And then in the other room, in the other room, it's like somebody going absolutely crazy. You know who that was? Texas Ranger. You know who the Texas Ranger was? He had just done a movie for Golan and Globus at Canon Films, and his check bounced. I don't think you want to bounce a check to Chuck Norris. So Chuck Norris is breaking up furniture with one of the brothers. The other brother comes in. He's schwitzing. He's schwitzing. And then all of a sudden, the CFO comes in and goes, yeah, the bank foreclosed on us from the Netherlands. A Netherlands bank? What kind of a Ponzi scheme is this? I look at John Avelson. He goes, hey, and we're going to do your movie. I guess it's back to the drawing board. Strike two. You know how close I was? Why did he have to be such a perf, Harvey? But anyway, let's go to the audio tape here. Ken Aletta has written a book about Harvey and his brother. Two boys from Flushing, two mamalukes. Oh, they were mama's boys. And the person who did the interview is greatest female in radio today. There's no doubt about it. Let's go to the audio tape. Right. In October of 2017, I said, but there's still mysteries to this guy. How did he become a monster? What happened in the relationship between he, he and his brother, his closest associate where his brother in the end fired him what what, what how do you use and abuse power uh, what what who were the people who allowed him to keep this secret for more than four decades those were some of the mysteries i was interested in exploring in a full biography probably once good good because i wanted to know that too now i didn't know his brother but i knew harvey and then you know what it comes down to with these guys mama these mamalukes. Well, a lot of things surprised me. I, I mean, I did learn in terms of the reason it was kept a secret. Harvey believed that the key to power was fear. People had to fear you. And he, he invested a lot of effort in making sure people feared him. And, and so people kept quiet because of that. Among the things that did surprise me, uh, learning about his mother, his mother Miriam was a very person, and she dominated the household when Harvey was a child. But she yelled all the time. She yelled so much, in fact, 
that his friends who played poker every weekend at a different home would never agree to play poker at the Weinstein home. Why? Because Miriam yelled too much. Harvey, you're too fat. Harvey, stop doing this. Harvey, that. And and very dominant person. So her role and 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 how she normalized yelling, which became a staple in in the Weinstein in both the Miramax and then the Weinstein company after it. Harvey and Bob yelled all the time, and and that was a reflection of what they grew up to think of as normal. Like a booby, like a Zeta, right? Yelling, yelling. This is my theory about why he turned out to be the perv of all pervs. So his mother is domineering over him and his brother. And you know, Harvey, he was a schlub. He was a schmendrick. He was a pisher. Nobody paid him any mind. And then one day while he was in his room looking at a poster of uh, Betty Grable's gams, was pleasurizing himself, and his domineering mother walked in, and you know what happened. It scarred him. Because she probably started screaming, and then all of a sudden, little, little Wonka went dead. From being turgid, it was now flaccid. So the guy had a concept in his head. So now he had to go out and prove that he would always be turgid and not flaccid. To prove to mommy. I, I know you're saying, boy, this is you're a whack job sleeper. No, 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 no. Hey. I'm not charging you money as a shrink here, right? I mean, we're in Manhattan here where everybody goes to a shrink and they brag about it. You go to a blue-collar working-class area, shh, don't say to anybody that I'm going to a shrink. Oh, the wealthy, the rich, oh, you should use my shrink. He's the best. She's the best. I love going to my shrink. How many times do you go a week? Oh, at least three or four times. How many times do you go a week? Therapist. Oh, three or four times. It's so good for me. It soothes my savage beast. It's better than Prozac. Boy, a tale of two cities, that's for sure. So that's my interpretation of why uh, Harvey Weinstein perved out. But then again, obviously, power is definitely an aphrodisiac in politics, in theater, in the art world, and in the movie world. I was also amazed and surprised by... The fact that Harvey had no incidents that I could find of sexual abuse in junior high school or high school or even the first three years of college at the University of Buffalo. He only began to abuse women when he had power. And, and he had power first in, as a rock promoter in Buffalo before he entered the movie business. And, and then it escalated when he had more power in the movie business. But he did not abuse women until he had power. And and power became a kind of an aphrodisiac for him. So let me make linkage here. As I understand it, that Harvey uh, Weinstein went away to the University of Buffalo where he became uh, Billy Graham. No, no, not the wrestler of the old WWF who died of uh, steroids. But Billy Graham, the concert promoter who had the Fillmore East, the Fillmore West. Now, you know when all of a sudden you're promoting rock shows, it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I would bet you at some point, we need to check this. Where's Alex, the brown-nosed producer of Frank Morano? That at some point, Gene Simmons and Kiss, with his tongue hanging down to his navel, appeared in Buffalo for the empresario, Harvey Weinstein. Can you imagine these two guys together? So, How did you do that? Can you can you actually touch your shoulder with your tongue? 
I could just see Harvey Weinstein being, uh, I mean, just befuddled by that. But so would the rest of you, too. And, oh, this, this really got deep here, real deep here. Because then Joan, Joan Hamburg, asks, what happened to him? What happened to all these people, these actors, these actresses? I mean, he abused men, too, in a different way. But what happened to them? Was it all about getting work and afraid, like Gwyneth Paltrow says he was making the movies then? So clearly, if you're an ambitious actor or actress, you wanted to be in a Harvey movie. Miramax was doing these great movies. My Left Foot, Crying Game, Sex Lives and Videotape, Shakespeare in Love. And if you had aspirations to maybe one day win an Academy Award, the place you wanted to be was not at a big studio, which is making it Batman and all these sequel movies, but a Miramax movie where, where you had a real a better shot of being an Academy Award winner. So they gravitated and they wanted to seek his favor. But what happened was that many these actresses who wanted to seek his favor, he wanted something in return. Sex. And now he's relegated to commissary privilege, getting milk duds that he has to hide under his mattress in L.A. County Jail. Then... Ken Aletta talked about the Weinstein brothers themselves. The story of Harvey and his brother, who also played a major role in all of this. But you question, how did the brother escape this? Why did the brother not turn out like Harvey? They have the same background. I think the brother is a better human being than, than Harvey was. He's very talented, by the way, in many ways. He made, many years he made more money his Dimension movies right. under the Merrimax label made more money than Merrimax movies, Harvey's movies did. But Bob became an alcoholic. And and then he saw a treatment for alcohol, joined out Alcoholics Anonymous, saw a treatment for it, and became a very reflective person, looking inside himself, trying to figure out how to make himself a better person, how to avoid the pitfalls that he saw his brother uh, falling into. and And Bob... You know, just became a better person and obviously never partook in the kind of sexual assaults that Harvey did. Uh, very close to his brother, uh, and they came apart. And, and partly because his brother had become a narcissist, partly because Bob thought his brother was out of control with his spending and, and endangering the company. And in the end, um, at one point in, in 2015, Harvey sucker punched Bob, broken, breaking his nose. They made peace, but it was a very cold peace. Ah, sounds like George in the background there. I didn't know that Joan Hamburg ran George in the background. That's something I would do. But then there was an interview that nobody paid attention to. It was 2005. 2005, before all this Michigash took place. And it was... Kurt Cobain's wife, yeah, crazy wife that she was. Some think she actually put that shotgun right under his chin when he went to the hereafter. Others say absolutely not. She was such a dingbat that she could have been uh, Archie Bunker's wife. She was that far gone, right, and all in the family. But she said something in that interview that nobody paid attention to. Do you have any advice for a young girl moving to Hollywood? 
Hmm. She said, avoid Harvey Weinstein, or it could be double trouble. Everybody, she's a whack job. Don't pay attention to her. And then there was the battle of the brothers, like Cain and Abel. Harvey Weinstein versus his brother, Bob Weinstein. I don't think Bob feels guilt. Bob feels that justice was done, that his, his brother was a bad person, and he was found guilty for the right reasons. Bob stopped speaking to Harvey in early 2018. They haven't spoken since. And so he he basically is divorced from his brother and feels that his brother uh, was, not, was not a good human being and, and deserves the punishment he's receiving. I say he was ready to make the Curtis Lee buyout. What the hell, Curtis? I got some clouds uh, on the horizon. Once I deal with that, it'll be okay. Really, Harvey? Yeah, I, I got it. Who's gonna question Harvey? Right? Goes like this. Boom! The movie gets made. Boy, those clouds were thick and black and ominous, and. Uh, he didn't even share those milk duds with me that he secured in uh, L.A. County Jail under the mattress. They put him on on blast. They put him on blast in jail. You know what it is to be put on blast when you're in jail? Now, of course, most of the people listening have no idea. I do. Anyway, then, Joan Hamburg asked, Hey, Ken, how'd you feel about all of this? Did you end up feeling sorry at all for Harvey at this stage in his life? Sort of, does anyone come to visit this guy? Well, he had his three daughters from his first marriage don't speak to him. His brother doesn't speak to him. His first wife doesn't speak to him. Hmm. His two little kids from his second wife are in New York. He's waiting a trial in Los Angeles, so they don't, his wife, has a chill, his second wife has a chilly distance from his former friends. Most of them have peeled away. So Harvey is alone in a wheelchair in a prison in L.A. awaiting trial. Do I feel sorry for him? I don't feel sorry for him. I think he's gotten a just sentence uh, that he deserved. Do I think about him as a human being, what it must feel like to be in prison after flying in private planes and making movies and standing on the Academy Awards stage so many years? Of course. How could you not think about it? So, mm-hmm. so you think about the, I, but I think more about the tragedy of it than the sadness of it. I, I, I don't feel empathy for him, though I, I, I do wonder, my God, what goes through his mind as he sits eating baked beans in prison? How he feels eating baked beans in prison and not, not imported caviar. That used to be his favorite. By the way, what do you think, Matt? Maybe I should visit old Harvey in L.A. County Jail. It'll be like a scene in the movie Colors, you know, with Robert Duvall and Sean Penn. The two LAPD guys, members of the crash unit that busted Bloods and Crips. And when the the Crip uh, is sent to L.A. County, they're all high-fiving him, you know, Colors, Colors, Colors. You see me going in there, they don't want to kill me simultaneously. Who do you want to see? I'm here to see Harvey, man. I got to get the movie made one way or the other. Maybe maybe I could get Bobby to make it, right? Bobby who? Bobby De Niro? No, 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 no. 
Bob Weinstein. I mean, look, Ken Aletta just said he's the good seed and Harvey Weinstein is the bad seed, right? Then, then he talked about the fall from grace. And, and how can he possibly, with all the problems that he has medically, too, get through or even want to get through what a nightmare all of this is? Yeah, I, I, I mean, you, you you wouldn't be a human being if you didn't think about that uh, to him. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not filled with rage, so much rage that I can't look past it and say, oh my God, what a, what a life, what a fall. What a life, what a fall. We're not talking the raging bull here, with Bobby De Niro. No, no, not that movie. I just want the movie done, right? Let them outsource it. I don't know, to Tanzania, you know. Gosh. And then he was asked about the many victims that Harvey Weinstein left in his wake. But they were afraid. I mean, one of the things, one of the big obstacles for the prosecution in the Harvey case criminal trial in New York was how do you explain why women who, who Harvey allegedly raped still kept in touch with him afterwards? Right. And, and the defense defense would argue, because these women were ambitious, they wanted something. But one of the defense, one of the prosecution witnesses that the prosecution called to the stand was Dr. Barbara Ziv of Temple University. And she's an expert on rape. And one of the things she said, which really stayed with me and I think stayed with the jury, she said that 40% of the women in America who are raped continue to keep in touch with the person who raped them. And they do for reasons, sometimes because they're afraid, sometimes because of denial that it ever happened to them, sometimes because they blame themselves for it happening. For various reasons, they keep in touch with that, that person. And the jury bought that argument. So many of these women who were his victims, as I report in the book, have, have it's taken a huge toll on their life. Some of them became alcoholics or turned to drugs. Uh, They've had many of them have had to struggle after the horrors that they went through with Harvey. Wow, sounded like Jaws in the background. Forty percent. Did you hear that? Forty percent of the women who are victimized, who are raped, stay in touch with their rapist for a variety of reasons. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. It's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. I have a feeling. That movie ain't never getting made. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Come on, Frank wouldn't play this kind of music. The Doors, Jim Morrison. Never forget Jim Morrison on stage. He was bodacious. He was outrageous. He was threatening every moray. And you know, in the 60s, Jim Morrison, who was from Florida, got on a stage, started taking his clothes off. And all of a sudden, so we need to ban the doors. Ban James Morrison. And they had a concert at the Orange Bowl. To ban the doors. And you know who was the MC of that concert? 
Jackie Gleason, Art Carney, and the Jew Taylor Dancers. This guy was thought to be Satan. He had to run off to Europe because the Dade County Sheriffs were ready to lock him up for lewd and vicious behavior. And who also was there? Kate Smith. She said evil. Jim Morrison is evil. Well, let me tell you something. Jim Morrison is alive. He's alive. You think he's dead in that cemetery in Paris. Oh, no. Tupac Shakur. He's alive, too. He's Machiavelli. Sharing a burger with Elvis at this very moment in a highway depot. Outside of Memphis on the way to New Orleans. Oh, yeah. I can imagine him. I didn't get my movie from Harvey, but... I can imagine these three, right? Jim Morrison, Tupac, and, of course, Elvis. Now, it reminds me of the time in the aftermath of 9-11. There was a concert in Madison Square Garden, Michael Jackson, that pedophile on a pedestal. And then everything was in lockdown. Do you know what three people traveled together all the way out to Santa Barbara in a rental car? Can you believe this? It was Michael Jackson, that pedophile on a pedestal. Liz Taylor, Elizabeth Taylor, and Marlon Brando. What an eclectic threesome that was. Can you imagine them driving all across America? Michael Jackson, the pedophile on a pedestal. Marlon Brando mumbling to himself. And Elizabeth Taylor saying, I need a new husband. It's number nine out there, number ten. I'm willing to try 11 or 12. Is that not the most eclectic combination that you've ever heard of? And they made it to the Neverland Ranch. I don't know, whatever happened to Bubbles? Remember Bubbles, the chimp? Bubbles was a fixture. Bubbles was there when nobody was there for Michael Jackson. Nobody was there for Michael Jackson. You could depend on that chip. Bubbles, loyal. Whatever happened to Bubbles, huh? Certain things happen in life that transfixes me. I can't rest. I need to know where Bubbles is. Midnight alley's wrong. That's right, this is midnight. That's right, to the break of dawn. You're not going to sleep. Oh, to the break of dawn. Tell me, tell me. Where are you going to get songs like this? He's alive, I'm telling you. With Tupac, with Elvis, it's Machiavelli. Listen to this riff. Oh, doesn't get any better than this. Jim Morrison. Come out of the crypt. Come out of the grave. It's time to return. We need this music 
so desperately. And we need that L.A. woman. She might be the only one who can visit Harvey and bring him the giant-sized milk duds that he lusts for. Yeah, oh yeah. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Yeah, rise and shine, some of you. Got to take that shower, got to shave. Yeah. I feel it, I feel it. Turn it out, Jim. Rosenberg waking up saying, what the hell happened to W? W what? W, don't worry about it. Come on in, Sid. It's time to raise the roof. It's party hardy. We're resurrecting, we're reviving Jim Morrison, Tupac Shakur, Elvis. While we're at it, Janis Joplin and Jimmy, yeah, Jimi Hendrix, right? All five. What did we talk earlier about? The five putzes who would never sign autographs for the little kids, right? Bill Russell, gone. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, still alive. Mickey Mantle, gone. Willie Mays, still alive. And Joe D., the Yankee Clipper, would never sign autographs. So those five, gone. We need to revive these five. I should be spinning stacks of wax, right? This is what freeform radio was about. This is when you'd pull out the vinyl out of the album cover. You'd put that needle to it. It was like Allison Steele on WNEW, the Nightbird. And you just took a chill pill and you laid back and you said, Yeah, peace, love, and happiness. 1969, a half a million strong up to Woodstock. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Johnny, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here. Hello. Yeah, I have a couple of topics that I'd like your opinion on. And the first one is I have a new way to vote. At least that's my idea. Also... I think an idea to stop mass shootings, and I'd like your opinion or your ideas or you know, for the uh, the uh, 2020 vote. I have some questions on that, so you pick out what you'd like, and we can go from there if you mind. Oh, this is like potluck, right? I get to choose which ones. So let's go. Uh, this is like Monty Hall, door number one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Go ahead. All right. The new way to vote: you have to register to vote, right? Why can't we register on the Internet like we do for other things with a password, a two-step verification, vote to vote? You get a lot more votes that way. Well, I like it because, look, 
with our smartphones, with our iPhones, billions of dollars in wealth and equity is transferred every day. We trust the smartphone and iPhone, right? That's right. Okay, so I'm on board. Uh, Issue number one. Door number one, you got to sale. Let's go to door number two. Okay. An idea to stop mass shootings. Uh, It's not a law, which I don't think we can do, but at least an understanding with the media that you do not mention the name of the stupid person that did what they did. And, of course, you don't show their picture because most of these people want to be infamous after they die. That would cut down on some of these uh, mass shootings, I think. Now, what happens if they have three names? Because, you know, I never trust anybody with three names. And a lot of these serial killers, a lot of these mass shooters, they have three names. Right, right. Well, you don't mention the name at all. That's an understanding to the media. It should be an understanding. But now uh, what happens? What happens? Uh, Because we live in a free society where some um, uh, bumblebee uh, um, website, somewhere in the United States could put the name of this person up. Is everybody supposed to restrain themselves and not actually report on that? And that's hard. But if there was an understanding through the media, eventually I think some would stop because they'd be uh, put to the side that they're not right in what they're doing, the media. So eventually I think it would stop. It's just my thought. I, uh, I I'm, not, I'm not going for door number two on this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take a pass on door number two. Door number one, you got me on the vote. Door number two, you don't. What's in door number three, Monty Hall wants to know? Okay. I've had some questions since the 2020 vote. Maybe you can help me on uh, some of them. Uh, first of all, I have an understanding there was a truck that came from Bethphage, Long Island, with pallets full of uh, ballots of uh, voting that they were brought to Pennsylvania, and they were brought in the middle of the night, and, of course, they were used to for the election. Have you heard of that, first of all? Uh, hold on. Let me uh, channel my kumbada Cheech, Rudy Giuliani, on that. Hold on one second. Okay. Rudy, what do you think? Dominion, Smartmatic, truck? Go ahead. He says yes. I say I don't know. There's actually the truck driver on YouTube talking about it. Uh, I looked it up uh, earlier. Now, let me, uh, let me ask you a question. What kind of truck driver is this guy? Did you check his license? Is he properly licensed and registered as an 18-wheel tractor-trailer driver? You know, there's certain specifications that come with that job. That's true. Hey, you see, you haven't, done your, you haven't done due diligence. Well, I understand it was with the Postal Service, and he mentioned that when he was on YouTube. And when he brought it to one part of Pennsylvania, they kept him for eight hours and they took the truck and uh, brought it to where they want, probably uh, Philadelphia. And they kept him so he wouldn't say anything. That's part of the thinking. Now, let, me, is- let me ask you a question. You mentioned the U.S. Postal Service, the bundle blessers. If you've ever been in a postal facer- facility, you go in the back, you notice that all of a sudden they have bundle after bundle going by on the assembly line, and there's all these uh, deadbeat workers, these no-show jobbers, uh, these feather-bedded jobs, and they're blessing the bundles as they go by. You've seen that in the U.S. Postal Service, haven't you? Oh, sure, right. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah it's, I'm telling you. It's systemic all over the country. Can we trust the U.S. Postal Service, Johnny, do you think? No. Can't Not you? completely. We've lost mail, I'm sure. That's, uh, you can't trust them. Now let me ask you a question, Johnny. From time to time, we read these stories of mailmen who will hoard mail for years. Yeah. 
you go to their garage out there in uh, Leave It to Beaverland, Father Knows Best, Little House on the Prairie. You open up the garage, and it's mail for years that they should have been delivering. What makes them hoard other people's mail, Johnny? They don't want to work. They're lazy. Yeah, but, I mean, come on. To bring it home and put it in your garage, there's some, I think they're clutterers. You know what it is, cluttering? You know what it is to have a cluttering problem, Johnny? I don't know. Let me tell you, because I'm a clutterer. Let me, let me convey to you. Let me open up about this disease that affects me and so many Americans. There was a time at the, uh, at the old radio station that I was broadcasting from, I had mounds and mounds of paper in the office. I, it was like the Colliers Brothers. Without the Colliers Brothers, it was only me. Right. Some schmuck intern went in there, and the piles of newspaper fell on him and almost killed him. And management was, I mean, they were fit to be tied. They called in an expert. Oh, with you? Yes, for me. And this woman, this woman brought in a container and she said, Curtis, we're going to take each newspaper here. You're going to look at it. You're going to touch the front. You're going to touch the back. And then you're going to put it in the recycling dumpster. And it's going to be hard at first. You're going to have separation anxiety. And she was right. I was shaking. And somebody would say to me, well, why don't you just put it in a recycling bin? Well, because there's something in that paper I might not have read. I wanted to save it because one day I might be. Look, I marked it. I read up to page 28. And they looked at me like I had all the furniture upstairs and rearranged in the wrong rooms. You don't think I'm a nut job, do you, Johnny? No, no. Yeah, but you you can empathize and sympathize with me as a clutterer. They have old reality shows about clutterers. Right, right. I've seen it. And so I filled up each dumpster, and every day I was traumatized. I lost 50 pounds because I had separation anxiety. I still, to this day, I, I want that copy of the Long Island Press from 1978. I never finished reading it. I cannot rest... Until I finish that newspaper. I don't know. There's something about that date. April 15th, 1978, the Long Island Press. I only got one-third of the way through. I am obsessed with this, Johnny. Tax day. Yes. How did you know? April 15th. See. See. I was so consumed with, am I going to get locked up by the IRS? I owe some money. I only read half the newspaper, the Long Island Press. It was only a nickel at the time. Yeah. And I don't know where that copy is now. And I can't find, you know, I've gone to libraries, to the old blue-haired matrons. And I said, can I, can I go into the microfilm library? Oh, microfilm. That was like the internet of our lifetime as baby boomers. Remember the first time you saw a microfilm in the library, Johnny? I was dumbfounded. Absolutely. It opened up a whole new world to us. Yeah, that's right. That was the internet. Back then, we didn't have drag queens coming into our library, having reading hour. You know, it was Uncle Milton Berle. He would dress up as a woman all the time on TV, Johnny. Remember that? And we laughed at him. We laughed at every week he was in a dress. We laughed. Yeah. And then he insisted. He insisted, no, I'm not a transvestite. That was the term back then. He said, I like women. I never believed him, Johnny. How the hell every week on the most watched TV program in America could this guy, Milton Burl, B 
be wearing a dress like a drag queen and not be a drag queen. And isn't that the ironic thing? The ironic thing is that I understand he had a package. Well, he had quite the package. He kept insisting that, hey, look at my package. Do I look like a transvestite? Do I look like a drag queen? There you go. I predict, Johnny, if Milton Berle were alive today, he would be a guest of, who is that, RuPaul, Rand Paul? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Which, which Paul is that? I'm, I'm, oh, RuPaul, I, Drag Race. Yes. Yeah. He, would, he would be one of the contestants on Drag Race. And you know who would win the contest? Uncle oh, Milty. Johnny, you see, we were scarred at such a young age. We didn't realize every week we were being exposed, exposed to a drag queen called Uncle Milton Burrow when it was really Auntie Milton Burrow. Yeah, that's right. And now the kids are being exposed to that. Yes. Straight on at school. Yes. Johnny, I, I want to thank you because you, you, you really you connected me. I, I was I was shaking a little bit. I was having flashbacks to those days when I had to go to a, that expert who who took that that uh, desire to just save things and not throw them away. I was part you know of why? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you throw something away, the next day or so, you need it. Thank you, Johnny. I need yeah. that. Thank you. I went through that recently, cleaning out a basement because yeah. my son was going to move in. Oh. And we decided not to do it, but we started cleaning out. And now I'm looking for those things. I got to rebuy them. I know what that feeling is. By the way, your son was going to move in. Is he a Mameluke, too? No, no, no. I, I offered him the idea because my wife had passed away at the beginning of the year. Oh. But this was a good chance to give him something. And uh, he was living in an apartment. Nice kid, nice wife. And then I realized going through it with uh, reading people who wanted to keep their independence uh, when they were old, like me, uh, I said, oh, you know what? I think that's right. Keep my independence. The best thing I ever did. I'm in a big house, but I can do things that I want. So he's a good kid. Johnny, he's- Johnny, you are a double mensch. Not a mensch. Yeah. <laughs> a double mensch. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Does this sound like Frank Morano? Of course not. This is styling and profiling, Curtis Sliwa style, and you're going to get more of this all week. I have no idea where he went, but I tell everybody in radio, you give me an inch and I take a mile. And I'm thinking out there at this very moment in Punk City, protective custody, in L.A. County, it's Jeff. Don't make that Harvey Weinstein. And the sheriffs have probably tossed his cell looking for those milk duds. It's a capital offense in L.A. You could kill somebody, nothing happens to you. But did you ever cross the street and jaywalk in L.A.? $100 ticket. You know, Chip shows up, Eric Estrada and his partner on their motorcycles. Hey, pull over here, $100 ticket. I said people are getting killed in L.A. And the most egregious thing you can do is jaywalk? Yes. And worse than that now is water your lawn. Oh, it's drought restrictions. 
There are men and women who sleek around in the cover of darkness to see if there's any moisture. Moisture on your sidewalk. Say, ah, you've been cheating. You've been watering your lawn. Your lawn should be parched. There's no water in the Colorado River. There's no water. You turn on the faucet, it's... So remember, in L.A., you can kill, you can maim, you can stab, you can do a drive-by. But you cannot jaywalk. That is a capital offense. Even in Garçon's DA's office, soon to be recalled. But the worst indiscretion right now is to take that hose out, look around. Helicopters, you know, the ghetto bird that Ice Ice Cube spoke about. Hey, ghetto bird's up there. Don't do it now. Wait till the ghetto bird's pass. Wait till LAPD passes, the sheriff, the crash unit, looking for gangbangers. And now you can slowly water your lawn. Now you feel like a criminal. You feel like, oh my God, did I really do something wrong? I've watered my lawn. I just put a few spritzes on my my Beamer, my Benz, my car. What are you going to do in L.A.? You take mass transit in L.A.? Are you crazy? You know how long you wait for a bus, the RTD bus, a month of Sundays? You got to have a clean car in L.A. If not, you're on the outside looking in. But Frank Moran don't know about that. By the way, I know a lot of you people think I've lost it. I really have. But when I come back, I'm going to reconnect the dots. Special episode of the Racket Report. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Now, see, this is the kind of program that Frank Morano would do. So he's channeling me from somewhere out there where he's... Losing every nickel, dime, and penny he has while shooting craps. I, my uh, Frank Morano GPS suggests that he is uh, he is at the Borgata in Atlantic City and just like losing everything. You know, a week in which they provided an au pair so that his lovely wife Rachel can shop till she drops while Frank Morano loses all the money. And the old pair can take care of his uh, beautiful young son, Carmine. And then, of course, there is the free buffet. Lots of free buffet. Free drinks. Free everything in Atlantic City, except you don't leave without losing your money. I mean, that's the deal. They giveth and they taketh. But right now, uh, what I'll be doing all week uh, long, as I substitute for Frank... Yours truly, Curtis Lewis, is playing segments of his racket report. Because in many of the times that he talks about these mobsters choking on their lobsters, these yadrules, these knuckle draggers, they are people who I've either known in time, I've either passed like ships at sea, or they've tried to kill me. Yes. So uh, I got my finger on the Frank Morano Pulse. He does extraordinarily good interviews. So much so that he should be up for a uh, 
Marconi Award in that category. And I think one day when Anderson Cooper decides to pack it in, the the interviewer on 60 Minutes uh, who shows up occasionally, like we see Anderson Cooper do from CNN, which used to be the Clinton News Network, then the Cuomo News Network, and I'm housing it as the Curtis News Network, will be Frank Morano, and he'll do an outstanding job. And this proves it. He was able to secure an interview with uh, Judge Gleason, the former prosecutor from the Eastern District, who put away John Gotti Sr., triple life without parole. But it wasn't easy. I'll never forget Matt Blaze and Alex Brown knows that you are there of the Frank Morano Show. That it was St. Patrick's Day. This was the last time that John Gotti Sr. was on trial. And on St. Patrick's Day, obviously, if your name is Gleason, you're wearing a green tie, right? You're the lead prosecutor, U.S. Attorney's Office, Eastern District. And then John Gotti Sr. shows up with an orange tie, which was basically a double oofa to Gleason. Because it's like you're the orange man, William of Orange, you know, All of a sudden, you're painting the green line up Fifth Avenue orange, which some of the Italians used to do for the Department of Transportation when it was a road crew. Why? Because they were all Italian. There were no Irish. Oh, I remember it well. My cousins would tell me those stories. But phase one of the racket report, and you can get that in the Frank Morano podcast, will be about the Colombo crime family, of whom I've had many battles with over the years. Although I will say that one of those who decided not to kill me was a man of meager means, a shorty short, not all that big, but possibly may have killed upwards of 50, 50 victims. Sonny Francesi. Yes, Sonny said, hey, I like Curtis. We're going to leave Curtis alone. The Gambinos want to wipe him out. But Curtis, he's okay. He's okay. Sonny says he's okay. I said, one less group that wants to kill me. But it was interesting because the boss of all bosses in the Colombo crime family was Carmine the Snake Persico. He was in the import and export business. He would import olive oil. Naturally, bogus olive oil. Did you know that, Matt Blaze, that most of the olive oil that is is, uh, sold throughout the world, 75% of it is fake olive oil, fugazi olive oil. Everyone's concerned about petroleum. You know, Vladimir Putin cutting off petroleum supplies to Europe. I am concerned that when you buy your Bertoli olive oil, second press virgin olive oil, it's fugazi, it's fake. And nobody seems to, to mind. Not the Greeks, not the Italians. Hey, if the idiots think it's real olive oil, let them pay exorbitant prices. Isn't it the result of Putin inflation? Isn't that what Joe Biden says? Oh, that's right. Our Papa Chulo president is back in his basement claiming that he has another round of COVID-19. Yeah, right. Perfect excuse to keep him in the basement. You won't have to have the White House staff come back later on in the day and have to revise what he said. We've seen this trick before. Yeah, all of a sudden you had a second dose of COVID-19. Sure you did. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. But anyway, you're causing me to digress. 
So in this racket report, you had the former prosecutor, Gleason, the federal judge, Gleason, who wrote uh, about 25 years of his experience busting these mobsters, choking on their lobsters. So he started with Carmine the Snake Persico, who eventually became the protector of the most scurrilous white-collar criminal in the history of America, Bernie Madoff. That's right, Met fans, degenerate Met fans. For years, right, it was uh, the Will Ponzi's. They had you believing that, oh, we lost all of our money and investments to Bernie. Are you kidding? They made money. Look at Bobby Bonilla. He's still getting paid. He'll get paid in perpetuity. I've never known of a ball player. It's like 25 years later. He's still getting every year a million dollars. And now he's down in Florida with everybody else. He said, bye-bye, suckers. But you caused me to digress. Let us listen to our own Frank Morano. As he discusses with Judge Gleason the life and times of Carmine the Snake, Yusfachi Persico. You know, Carmine got convicted back in what they called the commission case and got essentially life. He got a hundred year sentence and didn't want to give up the reins of the Colombo family, which produced this schism, this faction of people who stayed loyal to Carmine the Snake Persico on the one hand, and Vicarina and the people loyal to him on the other. And they ended up in a war. That was right when I was chief of organized crime in Brooklyn. And they ended up killing off each other. And then we were arresting them with the guns and convicting them of the murders. And it was just a power struggle. You know, there's a lot of money in being high up, being in the administration of a La Cosa Nostra. And uh, so there was a lot at stake. And uh, it's, a, it's really a great question. You know, I tried Vic Arena, who was the boss of the Colombo family at the time, just six months after we convicted John Gotti. And they were, talk about studies in contrast, Vic was a gentleman. We would shake hands each morning when he came into the courtroom. We'd try the case hard against one another, him and his lawyer, shake hands at night. Um, he'd go back to the to the prison where he was being detained, whereas John Gotti was uh, like a caged animal all the time. So I, I look back on those days, and you know, Vic really showed the difference between a, a mob boss and a celebrity boss, which is what John Gotti decided he was going to be. A caged animal, yes, he was. But Vic Arena, a gentleman. What is he talking about, Vic? He's no gentleman. He would slice you and dice you as if you were in a vegematic. Oh, yeah, he shook his hand every day. Of course, he's the lead prosecutor. Boy, he get conned by that guy. (laughs) Stone-cold killer. But anyway, then the conversation revolved. Notice how... uh, the judge keeps complimenting uh, Frank Morano. Oh, that was a great question. That was a great, and it was it really what Frank. I gotta give him. I gotta give him credit. Frank Morano does the best interviews in talk radio now. There's no doubt about it. He will soon be doing celebrity interviews on 60 Minutes. Got to get rid of Anderson Cooper. You know why? I I know I'm digressing, but the other day I'm reading in the memoirs. He says I was nine years old. My mother had me go with two of her friends to see Richard Gere 
on Broadway in a play, and I knew when I saw him up there, I was gay. And I said, wait a second. Hold on, you mean Richie Gere with the Dalai Lama and the gerbils? Really? And he didn't write about that. Hey, look, if the guy knew at nine years old he was gay because he saw Richie Gere, does that mean Richard Gere is gay? Well, wait, hold on. Nowadays, you could be whatever you want to be. You have 72 different terms. He, she, they, we could go on and on and on. Your sexuality, whatever you want to be. You want to be asexual? No sex today. Pansexual tomorrow? Sex with everyone? It's your dime. We must respect that. Remember that, Matt Blaze. I'm not going to say what I think of you, but I must respect whatever you call yourself. But I got words of what you could call yourself. It's just that it's um, not that complimentary. Well, let's hear Frank Morano talk about a guy I hate, I loathe, I despise with Judge Gleason. Sammy the Bull Gravano. How did the Colombo War ultimately end up? Well, they ended up, most of the family got decimated, and it ended up later on with a, a panel running the family, no designated boss, Carmine. Once Gravano flipped, and I know we'll talk about that, once Sammy Gravano flipped, the mob changed dramatically. So Carmine Sessa, who was the consigliere of the family, came in and cooperated. Uh, came in on Sammy's coattails to cooperate. The, that family in particular went into disarray quicker than most, uh, in part because a member of its administration, the consigliere, Carmine Sessa, decided to become a government witness. I don't understand, Matt Blaze, maybe you can explain this, why Frank Morano would not ask Judge Gleason about Tommy Schiaccioli. Titular head of the Colombo crime family. Yeah, I knew Tommy. Running through the streets of Dyker Heights in the Gravesend. He had a sawed-off shotgun. He was chasing some other Columbos. You know why? Because they owned the rights at that time to Deep Throat. Oh, don't get excited here on me, Matt. Calm down. Calm your libido down. Deep Throat, yes. Triple X rated. Linda Lovelace. The Columbos owned it lock, stock, and barrel. I don't know if they own Linda Lovelace, but they own the film rights. So this was the gang that couldn't shoot straight. Jimmy Breslin, the great writer, wrote a whole book about that, and he was right. They would shoot at one another, and they'd always hit strangers. They can never hit one another. So he's running down the block. They figure they got this other Columbo guy and his son trapped, and he kicks in the door, and... Matt Blaze, he's got his sawed-off shotgun, his Winchester, fully loaded. He fires, and he shoots a nun. He will burn in hell for that. Tommy shots Gioli. He's in prison right now. He just scammed the government out of $285,000. Said that he did a slip and slide while playing ping-pong in jail. They gave him a ping-pong table. Maybe that's why Frank Morano wants a ping-pong table here in the studios of the Frank Morano Show. Beware. Could it be a slip and fall? I don't know. Could be 1-800-LIARS-FOR-HIRE, ambulance chasers. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222.
And then Frank in the racket report talks with Judge Gleason. Remember, Judge Gleason put away John Gotti Sr. We're going to talk about that later in the week. We're just exclusively talking about the Columbos. A guy who had AIDS was deteriorating because, remember, the early day of AIDS, they didn't have the drugs yet. They could uh, uh, sedate that. Scarva, and he was still going around doing shootings and whacking adversaries. I think you, you really can't have a look at the Colombo crime family in that era and the Colombo crime family wars without looking at uh, the role of Greg Scarpa, the guy that people <laughs> called the uh, the Grim Reaper. Now, we then l- we learned later, after Greg Scarpa was uh, committing all sorts of horrible crimes, that he was working with the federal government as uh, one of these top echelon informants. And then we've learned in ensuing years that there was a number of other high-profile criminals that were working as top echelon informants, uh, people like Frankie Blue Eyes Sparacco, people like Whitey Bulger. There's been some criticism of the top echelon informant program and a feeling that maybe the government gave some of these horrible criminals uh, a license to go on committing crimes so long as they were giving valuable information. What is your take on Scarpa specifically and the top echelon informant program in general? Yeah, good for you. These are great questions. You're more of a you're more of an aficionado than most. Yeah, look, Thank you. So, first of all, a very important distinction for your audience: a cooperating witness who gets who works with prosecutors gets on the witness stand on the one hand, and then Scarpa and Whitey Bulger and the like, who are confidential informants who don't get on the witness stand, and in fact. For the most part, prosecutors never even know about them because the FBI looks at today's prosecutors like they're tomorrow's defense lawyers, and they don't need to know. And the problem with Scarpa, who, by the way, was one of the lead captains on the Persico side of that war, the problem with that that Scarpa placed into clear relief and Whitey Bulger placed into clear relief is, you know, when the handling agents get really close— to a valuable informant, and the worse criminal they are, the more valuable they are, it becomes like an umbrella, like an insurance policy for the, for the informant, right? They can uh, – the, the handling agent and the bureau might kind of look the other way when they're doing some criminal work on the side, including, in Scarpa's case, murders. Notice how Judge Gleason – triple complimented Frank for the questions that he asked. Even I have to give uh, Frank Morano a high five on that. Those are very excellent questions. You don't have to be a cognoscente to understand this. You don't have to be like Curtis Lee, chased by the mob, threatened by the mob, shot by the mob, uh, almost uh, chemically incinerated by the mob. (laughs) No, 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 no. But it's very interesting the way Frank was able to uh, ask Judge Gleason about the variables of confidential informer versus cooperating witness, witness protection. Excellent interview. You can get that on the Racket Report. And then finally, as we wrap up his uh, depiction of the Colombo crime family always at war with one another, he asked a question about the FBI agent in charge of the Scarborough investigation, Del Vecchio, 
and whether he was too close to comfort to a guy who killed so often and so many and went to hell, I mean hell, as somebody who never once apologized, said they were sorry, or said his rosary before he burnt in hell. The handler, the FBI handler of uh, Greg Scarpa was Lindley DeVecchio. He was tried for essentially helping Greg Scarpa carry out murders. Ultimately, uh, they did not continue with that prosecution. He remains unconvicted. There seems to be a divided opinion about DeVecchio, both in in uh, legal circles, in, in law enforcement circles, and among the general public. What's your take on Lindley DeVecchio? Did he cross the line in terms of criminality in aiding Greg Scarpa? Or do you buy Lindley DeVecchio's version of events that he never crossed that line? Well, look, it's a little more nuanced than that, Frank. Do I believe that Lynn DeVecchio um, crossed the line in the sense of aiding and abetting murders as he was as that withdrawn prosecution charged him? No. Do I believe he got way too close to Scarpa and that the agents in his squad, Chris Favo, Jeff Tomlinson, two others, Ray Andish, Howard Ledbetter, do, do I believe that, that those special agents under Lynn's supervision properly reported to, their super, to Lynn's supervisors that Lynn got too close to Greg Scarpa? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's, if the line's criminality, non-criminality, I don't have any reason to believe that Lynn engaged in criminal acts. Did he lose his balance in, in handling Greg Scarpa? Yes, I believe that. Oh, excellent. Excellent summation about the Colombo crime family. That was Judge Gleason. He's a federal judge. Before that, he was a lead prosecutor, Eastern District Brooklyn, and prosecuted many, many mob cases. That was just one of a number of interviews that Frank Morano has done in his podcast called The Racket Report. We'll be doing little tidbits all through the week while he's away, losing his shirt, shooting craps at the Borgata. But I want to give you a few updates before... Our uh, news gal, Deborah Valentine, comes in and gets us all hip to what's happening all over the world. It was a man who tracked down his stolen motorcycle in Brooklyn. Then he gets beaten up by the same men who stole his motorcycle, and they robbed him again. This is Fear City. This is New York City. The swagger man, Eric Adams, the mayor, he's got no plan. I repeat that. A man tracked down his stolen motorcycle in Brooklyn. You could do that with the GPS. And he gets beaten up as the same men rob him again. And he arrests Nadia. And they're waving to the camera with no mask on. Here we are. Come get us. Really, really in bad shape. By the way, you also um, want to pay attention to Deborah Valentine's newscast because it was over 10 days ago. She was like Paul Revere warning us about how the squeegee posse guys were back coming in from the Lincoln Tunnel in order to prepare her 
morning uh, news uh, news presentation. She was talking about how women were being uh, stalked by these squeegee guys because they knew women could easily be intimidated. And then they'd throw the soapy water on your windshield. And if you didn't give them money, oh, there'd be a hell of a price to pay. Kick your door in, threaten you. No cops. We've gone full full circle. You know, Rudy Giuliani, Michael Badicic, the greatest mayor of our lifetime in New York City, the very first thing he did when he was sworn into office in 1993 after beating David Dinkins after four years before losing to him by the barest margin and then winning against him by the barest margin, he took one issue on, one issue only. He said, if I don't get rid of this squeegee scourge, if I don't show the people of New York and the surrounding tri-state area that we can get rid of these filthy spongers who are back, then nobody is going to have faith in my ability to resurrect this city. And the very first thing that Rudy Giuliani did is that he had the squeegee posse guys arrested. They were all over the city, especially near the Lincoln Tunnel, the Holland Tunnel, Cross Bronx Expressway, wherever they could engage traffic, stop traffic, they had their squeegees out there with dirty water that they would throw on your windshield, and then they would demand tribute. Really stopped that. Now they're back. The question is, as was said, they know who to target, always the women. They know the women pay because they don't want any trouble. And instead of vowing to crack down on this and stop this like Rudy did from day one, Eric Adams said, hey, you know, I used to be a squeegee man when I was a teenager. Bull feathers. You were never a squeegee guy. Why not just stop this? I realize you may not have the skill level and the attention span and the focus to be, after, to be able to go after some of the other growing crime problems. But show the people that you could get rid of this scourge. The squeegee man returns. The filthy sponges are back. I want to give a tribute to Deborah Valentine on NewsGal for revealing that her personal experiences of being uh, stalked by these squeegee guys, threatened by these squeegee guys, and then having a door kicked in because she wouldn't be shook down or extorted. See, we don't just talk about the news. We don't just rip and read and give you commentary about the news. Sometimes we're involved in the news. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Bright light said it's gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn. Get those stakes up higher There's a thousand pretty women Waiting out there They're all living The devil may care And I am just a devil with love to spare So people Lord begging People Lord begging How I wish uh, Elvis here Singing about Sin City, Las Vegas 
as the uh, former mayor said, Oscar Goodman, whatever happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas. He got swapped out, and you know who the mayor is now? His wife. And he runs the mob museum. So I thought for sure Frank Morano would be going to Vegas with Rachel and his son Carmine to schnorr free visits to the mob museum. But he's not there. You know why? Not because he doesn't want to be there, but they've had four days, four nights of constant rain and flooding, the likes of which you would think Moses is going to appear and all of a sudden want to talk to Pharaoh to let his people go. I mean, it's, it's bad. Casinos have been flooded. The main drag has been flooded. And they have been in a drought emergency in that desert. They have had absolutely not even perspiration to add to their lack of water. In fact, a week ago, they issued an order that if you had a pool in your backyard, you couldn't use the pool. You'd have to get one of those little kitty splash pools that you can put your feet in, and that was it. They don't have water. So you would think with all the water they've had, they've had floods similar to what we've seen in Kentucky, that this would have helped their drought situation by adding desperately needed water to Lake Mead and Lake Powell, which are the two major reservoirs which drive water supply conditions in the Colorado River Basin. I mean, every one of those states draw their water out of the Colorado River that has become now a little tributary because of the drought. Sort of reminds me when I went to uh, Israel the first time, said, would you like to see the Jordan River? Of course. That's where Joseph baptized Jesus, right? And so they take me over there, and I see this little trickle of water and garbage and flotsam and jetsam and swill. I said, what happened to the River Jordan? Well, no more water. If there is a war in the Middle East, it'll be over water, not oil. That's right. L'Aqua Fresh. Water. So after four days, four nights of perpetual rain, you would have thought that would have increased the amount of water in Lake Mead and Lake Powell, which is parched, hasn't added anything. Because it's been so dry, so parched, that rain is not seeping into the ground. It's basically just being rushed off. It's wastewater now. So the drought will continue there. And for the gamblers who are so desperate to gamble in those casinos, they're shut. I think there's that one casino. Frank would know that. The one that has the gondolas. You know, you could actually gondola your way around Las Vegas now. Let's go to the phones. It's Mike who's calling. Your turn to be heard here on the Frank Morano Show, Mike. Uh, okay, I was, was going to tell you what happened to Bubbles the Chimp. Oh, hold on. Let me rephrase that. I had asked about an hour ago as I was reflecting on the three weirdest combined people who gathered up after 9-11. The pedophile on the pedestal, Michael Jackson, was in concert in Madison Square Garden in the Celebrity Parks. uh, Sitting together were Liz Taylor and Marlon Brando. They couldn't fly anywhere. They couldn't go anywhere. They rented a car, and they drove across the country to Santa Barbara to the Neverland Ranch. Can you imagine Michael Jackson, pedophile on a pedestal, Mumbles, Marlon Brando, and Elizabeth Taylor looking for a ninth husband. Uh, Marlon Brando's son was the head of security for the Netherland branch. Oh, I didn't know that. 
I forget which one. One of the his Tahitian sons was the. Uh, wow. Was like they had a security for Neverland. I learned something this morning. I learned something. Thank you very much. And of course, when they ask him, "Did you see any drugs in Neverland?" Of course, oh no, of course not. You know, one of those things in security. We didn't for so many drugs there, you know. Like thing. Now you 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 connect the dots with me. That's the connection there. But now the question is, not in Michael Jackson company as he oftentimes was in that era, before he had to go to court for all the charges of him being a perv, was the proverbial presence of bubbles the chimp. Whatever well, he, happened he to wound bubbles? Up, uh, well. Most people who collect chimps, they collect them when they're babies, like he did. Bubbles is a baby, but especially male chimps, when they get to be, you know, of age, they they start to look for female chimpanzees, and they don't find them there. They they turn aggressive, and they start attacking people. So he had in 2005, he had to have them sent to, uh, I think it's called the uh, Center for Great Apes. It's in, I think it's Wachula, Florida. And he's still alive. He's like about 40 now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Chimpanzees live to be about 60 or so. Bubbles, bubbles is still alive. At this, yeah, and this place, it's like I mean, you might be interested because I mean, you rescue cats and dogs. But this place uh, strictly uh, uh, takes care of animals that basically been abandoned because, uh, yeah, great apes like chimps and orangutans and, and gorillas. And they keep when they're young, but when they get big, the people can't handle them. There's that famous case of the woman with the chimp who whose friend came over. She and uh, the Chimp bit her face off, and she had to have a face transplant. Oh no, I remember that that well. But let me ask you a question: Are there monkeys on that ranch? I'm pretty sure they have all sorts of stuff there. But it's called. Oh, Mike, Mike, hold on a second. Let me correct you. According to the World Health Organization and the New York City Department of Health, you are no longer to refer to them as monkeys. You cannot use the term monkey or monkeypox. You are you are uh, excluded from using that term. You know, Mike. Never again must that word monkey pass from your lips. Please keep Mike on the phone here. We need to give him a Curtis Lee booby prize. Don't ask, don't tell. As I throw nickels around like manhole covers, although I don't have alligator arms like Frank Morano does. Oh, my God. Try to get him to pick up a bill or a check or leave a tip. Hmm. Knock yourself out. Now, you know that, Matt Blaze. I don't have to. Hey, Alex, the brown-nosed one there. No, he would never rat him out. You know, oh, no, Frank. Frank, Frank. It's idolatry, Frank. Let's go to Dave in Western New York. Your turn to be heard, Dave. Yeah. Good morning there, Curtis. Uh, I talked to you about a week ago. Uh, we were talking about Jimmy Griffin and all that. Oh, Southside Jimmy Griffin, the mayor who wanted me locked up in Buffalo along with his police commissioner, yeah, Cunningham. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, I, I got a couple of things. Uh, first, got to give a shout out because you got a pretty good following here in Western New York. Uh, shout out to my buddy Dave in North Tonawanda. Uh, that's a quick one. Uh, now, hold on a second. Hold on, Dave, before you continue the shout outs. Now that you have mentioned Tonawanda, I must counter you with Cheektowaga, Tonawanda, Amherst, and Lockport, where you live. Yes, sir. And uh, the other thing, I was listening to you and your wife uh, earlier. I I didn't get through to you. Um, You were talking about uh, cats and how they relate to other animals. Uh, I've seen uh, in my backyard possums and skunks, and the cats come up, and I think the skunks think they're like a weird-looking cat, you know. 
Uh, they go nose to nose, and they're just fine. And uh, you were talking about the uh, the crime families. Well, I grew up in Western New York, and we had the uh, uh, the Gambinos and the Magadinos were big here. But the main thing I called about was uh, voter registration. Voter uh, registration. Now, before we talk about voter registration, you mentioned Pepe Le Pew skunks. Yes. Would you consider yourself somewhat of a quasi-expert about skunks? Well, I've captured a few in my backyard and taken them out and let them loose out in the wild. The reason I ask you this is I returned from Staten Island the other day. I came across the plank, and they they are befuddled by the number of skunks that are everywhere in Staten Island. They not only have skunks, they have coyotes, foxes, raccoons, white-tailed deer— but it's skunks that apparently have bored into what was the world's largest open air dump, fresh kills. Now it's covered, it's closed, and they have colonies of skunks. And folks in Staten Island are afraid to go near the skunks because they think that they're going to end up being stunked up. I guess that's the term, right? Stunked up? Well, skunks are pretty docile animals. I have a, uh, actually took a video of one coming up because I used to feed the feral cats in the neighborhood, and he came up within three feet of me, and I talked to him, and he ate the cat food, and he left. And you weren't you weren't uh, you weren't worried about getting sprayed, right? They keep saying, "Oh my God, if the if the skunk sprays you." Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. You can take a bath. You can take a shower. You might have to take boric acid or sulfuric acid to put it on yourself to get rid of that stink. Yeah, well, they're they're very docile animals. As long as you don't startle them, they're fine. Uh, I, you know, I've seen them walk by my house. I've you know seen them in my backyard. I've had them on my front porch. And as long as you don't startle them, they're fine. You know, I'd, uh, I'd like to uh, take you as an expert to uh, the Forgotten Island in many instances. They don't get the attention that they do, Staten Island. And you could be anointed the resident skunk expert. I'm sure out of the many things that you've done in your life, Dave, can you imagine skunk expert right there at Burlhorn, Staten Island? Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, the main reason I called it about voter registration. Uh, yes, uh, back to voter I, registration, yes. Yes. I, I had a tenant. Uh, he was from Italy, and we helped him get his citizenship. He now lives in Pennsylvania. Uh, but he got a letter from the Italian consulate in New York City about a month ago. Uh, and I called him up because he lives in Wilkes-Barre. Uh, and I asked him, I said, well, you know, you want me to send it on to you or what? Because it was all in Italian. And anyway, uh, he says, no, I'm an American citizen now. You just open it up and tell me what's in it. Well, there were five ballots in there, uh, referendums or something, best I could make out. And the thing they had was these ballots each had a space for a fingerprint or a thumbprint. Now, how difficult would it be with today's technology for people to register their vote? Okay, uh, once you register, you're in forever as a citizen in your area, in your district, or whenever you move, whatever. 
the database wouldn't be that hard. And 99% of the people in the world have thumbs. Hmm. So how hard could it be to have verified voter registration by a, a thumbprint or a fingerprint? You know, I, I don't see where the problem is. They're, they're all crying, oh, we don't have voter ID. Well, you got you got to have ID to get uh, welfare and, you know, all your, your benefits, and you got to have ID to buy beer and cigarettes. So how difficult is it to have a database for your local area with your thumbprint or your fingerprint registered so they know you voted and you can only vote once? No, that's uh, that is uh, that that is uh, wow. That is very coaching of you. Question though, Dave, you said your your friend who is an immigrant from uh, Italy is now living in Pennsylvania. Do you happen to know where in Pennsylvania? Yeah, he lives in Wilkesbury. He's a barber. Uh, no typecasting there. Mm. Uh, but you know, uh, he's he's not lived here for three years, and he loves being an American citizen. And he's got guns, and he's happy with all that. He goes and shoots with a local uh, mayor and the local uh, chief of police. And, you know, he, he's just uh, he's just so happy to be an American. Uh, he, he told me, he said, ah, I'm not even going to bother voting in Italy. I'm an American now. Do you know what great family came from Italy, established a racing tradition in Pennsylvania, you hearken up the name of Mario Andretti and his son. Oh yeah, I love racing, man. Uh, yeah, uh, Mario is one of my favorite drivers. You know, and uh, yeah, I follow it a lot. But I, I just thought the voter registration thing—it's not that difficult. Everybody cries, "Oh, I don't have a," you know, "I don't have ID." Blah 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 blah. Well, you got to have ID to get, uh, you know. Uh, benefits and and you have, have ID to get beer and you have ID to get cigarettes, you know. Well, I tell so, you, I tell you, Dave. The the strangest thing was in the last election cycle when I was running for mayor and I lost to Eric Adams. My wife was running for city council. By the way, my wife is Annie Oakley. She loves to go to Pennsylvania to visit her mother in Milford because she's got a stash of AK forty sevens and she goes out and shoots some. You know what? Uh, can't yeah, well, good do, for her. Yeah, can't do that in New York. She's Annie Oakley. But the interesting thing is we went for early voting for her election. She lost. But when we went to vote, you didn't have to show any ID whatsoever, okay? So we didn't show yeah. And then we went across the street just to get a sandwich and a cup of coffee. And we had to show our vaccine passport to get a sandwich and a cup of coffee. Well, that's a whole other thing. That's that's a bunch of crap. No, but how crazy is that? Hey, I'm here to vote. Oh, you don't have to show ID. Well, you go across the street, right? Uh, can I have a cup of coffee? Croissant. Oh, you got to show vaccine ID. What? What? For croissant and a cup of coffee? Yeah, 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 yeah. The most important thing you can do is vote. No ID. Nah, we trust you. Who are you? Oh, you don't speak English? Wow, you look like, where were you two weeks ago? Calexico? Isn't that in Mexico? Oh, that's right. I'm not supposed to ask you that. Let's go to Evelyn, who's calling from Bayonne, New Jersey, the gateway to the world in Hudson County. Your turn to be heard, Evelyn. 
Good morning to you and your great crew. Curtis, back in the 70s, I was on the trading floor, working on the trading floor of J.P. Morgan. And this is at the time when you used to do business by telex, not by computer. The telex operator was walking her dog up in Carmel, New York, where she lived early in the morning, got sprayed by a skunk. She came into work that day. Nobody would sit by her on the train, Metro North or whatever. We thought we were going to drop dead from the smell. This is after she took a shower. She bought new clothes before she got into the office, doused herself in perfume. We were gagging all day long, Curtis. Don't ever get her name Shirley. I'll never forget it in my life. I could still smell it when I think about it. Now, let me ask you a question. There is a benefit this time of year. The mosquitoes would certainly stay away from you, wouldn't they? Now, that was true dedication coming to work like that, truly. That is true. But I I want to advocate to people out there if they're getting bit by those uh, mosquitoes, those critters. And and the DEET, the D-E-E-T is not working because we used to use DDT, which was more effective. All you got to do is do the Frank Morano remedy. I don't know if you're aware, uh, Evelyn, but Frank loves cheese. He loves fromage. You take the Limburger cheese, you open up the tub of Limburger cheese, you smear it on you, you know, as if it's a lotion. <laughs> I guarantee you, it's worse than skunk smell. Oh, no, no, hey, he, he loves fromage, right? Yes. Uh, I work for a nun, Curtis. She's not going to be happy that I'm going to be sleeping in the office all day. Ah, <laughs> uh, a nun. Padre, Filia, Spiritu, Santum. Remember, Evelyn, Novena on Monday night, Stations of the Cross, 100 Hail Marys, 500 Our Fathers. You got it, Curtis. I'm going to leave time for other people. God bless you and your crew. Thank you, Evelyn. <laughs> See, I could have been a padre. Then work my way up to be a padron, a godfather, huh? It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Oh, Bobby Darren died too young in life, 36, had rheumatic fever and all kinds of congestive heart failures over his short life. Tremendous talent, came up with jingles, songs, and I know I've told this story before, but told, well actually it was Connie Francis who had welcomed me when I first broke into radio by sending me a bouquet. Unlike uh, my enemies, again, being a crime family who send me white orchids. That's the uh, dead man's uh, wreath. Connie Francis sent me a beautiful bouquet, said, Curtis, I love listening to you on the radio. Oh, it touched me. And I remember her telling a story how when she was young, and was the number one female singer in America. She had fallen in love with Bobby Darren, who was writing a lot of her songs, and he said, let's elope. But in true Italian-American tradition, she said, I have to, I have to speak to my father. She told her father, I'm going to elope with Bobby Darren. 
He said, you do that, and I will break every bone in his body. Well, she didn't elope, and she said that was the biggest mistake of her life. And I am sure that there are some of you listening right now who are with me the other side of midnight till the break of dawn now. Momentarily, we will see the light of dawn. Or those who are rising and shining now because you're beginning your, your work week. Who remember that one that you wanted to elope with, that if you could have, you would have, and life might have been different. Yeah, it touches you. But let's go right to original Rick in New Jersey. Uh, your turn to be heard here, Rick. Yeah, good morning, Chris. How are you? I heard you talking about the skunks, and I'm out here one, feeding one right now, Peppy. Wait yeah. a second, Peppy Le Pew, the skunk? Well, you got to name him Peppy. You know, come on, just like the raccoon I feed is Rocky. Hey, let me ask you a question. What do you feed a raccoon? The raccoons eat all the... I'm out here feeding the feral community I have right now. And they eat the cat food. They love cat food. Oh, so they eat cat food. But don't you have to feed skunks carefully at a distance? Well, I put... He comes up in about two feet of me. And I put the food down and I back off and then he eats it. But he comes up... He thinks he's one of the cats. That's why I named him Peppy. When I come out for the cats, he comes out. Why do you think uh, that people have stigmatized skunks that when they see them, especially a family of skunks, people run? They run in terror as if it were uh, a pack of lions. Well, because if you've ever gotten hit by one, you know why. I, my dog got hit by one, and it was it was, uh, it was was horrible. I mean, they, driving down to the store to get the tomato juice, everybody was just pointing at my car as I was driving by because it was just like infecting the whole town. It's incredible. That bad, huh? Oh, yeah, your eyes tear. It's like tear gas. Question, would you rather smell like a skunk or like Limburger cheese? Uh, Limburger smells like feet, man. I'd rather smell like a skunk. Mm. Uh, yeah, smunk, skunk smells like good weed, you know? Mm. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, what about that smell that we're all engulfed in now, like a purple haze just hanging <laughs> Thick over the city from everybody vaping, vaping. I, I think it's like eating some, in front of somebody who's hungry. Unless you're going to give me some weed, don't be smoking in front of me. Ah, so you want to do Puff Puff Pass original ah, record. Yeah, so what? Uh, yeah, I do. But but anyway, listen, if I was a big drinker, which killed all my family, if I was a big drinker, I wouldn't be out here at 3 in the morning feeding the cats every day. No, that's, that's true. But original Rick, uh, be careful of the offer you make to Frank Morano crew because... They're stoners to begin with, so now you've just excited them. They have a reason to exist for another day because they think somewhere out there they're going to run into original Rick feeding the feral cats and feeding the skunks. Have you uh, checked Matt Blaze's ID to see if that's his real name? Hmm. Hmm, yeah. Yeah. Hey, if that's your name, show me your ID. Yeah, okay. All right, yeah, yeah like that. that sounds that sounds like you know uh, Matt Houston or something. I mean, it sounds like a, a TV name, you know. It does, Matt Blaze. Uh, I think it's uh, one of his many aliases. Remember the old TV show, The Fugitive? Sure. This guy strikes me like The Fugitive. He is <laughs> very nefarious in terms of his moves. All of a sudden, you know, he'll show up somewhere. and... And, you know, people will want to sort of vet him out, like, who is this guy? And then he goes, uh, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. Yeah, you're asking too many questions, getting too close, right? Yeah, but, you know, Frank hired him. 
Frank claims he vetted him. Yeah, my quantum mind. And Frank continues to make excuses for his, let's be kind to him, original Rick, his eccentric behavior. Do you think, uh, my, uh, you know, he, he had a, an order from the people he can't refuse to hire him? Could well be. Let's go to Aston calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard, Aston. Okay, good morning, President. Good morning, sir. I have commendation for you and Mama Luke. Uh, <laughs> uh, the skunk issue I, I, um, I heard you speaking about. Uh, I have a suggestion. Let me ask you a I question, think... Aston. What country, what country are you from? Um, uh, Jamaica. So. Yeah, yeah. Why? Why did you take so long to answer that question? Right? It's like that should have been a no-brainer. I knew that anyway. You could tell from your accent. But do you think that Frank Morano would have known? Of course not. You're stuck with me the rest of the week, one to five, Monday through Fridays. And then remember, during the day, it's the lunchtime edition of the Curtis Lewis Show. Twelve fifteen to one o'clock and oh boy it's ripping reading commentary and you know in just a few hours i can source up information that will rock your world